Hello, YouTube watchers and podcast listeners. My name is Bobby Mitchell, and I welcome you to Movie Change Up, the show where we recast and pitch new versions of movies we love and movies we love to hate with a little added twist. I will serve as both your host and judge of the two competitors today. And before I introduce them, please help us out by subscribing to our channel and liking our videos on YouTube, as well as giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. If you're watching live, feel free to leave comments in the live chat, and we'll respond as we go. And if you're watching on playback, leave a comment with your favorite pitch or your pitch ideas. Now, let's get to the competitors today. First, we have someone coming off a win last week over a first-time competitor and is looking to repeat that tonight. Please introduce yourself and let everyone know how you're feeling coming into this week. Yeah, I'm Joe. If you've watched this podcast before and you don't know who I am, you need to pay better attention. Uh, I'm currently, I think, three and one in all the ones that I haven't competed on, I've hosted. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, I like all my pitches, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, you should all know Joe. But next we have, a, like I said, a first-time competitor. Uh, please introduce yourself and let us know how you felt coming up with these pitches for the first time. Hey, I'm Tristan, and my pitches, I'm definitely proud of them, but I feel like this is a little bit rigged. You know, I'm new to the game. I'm not really experienced, and Joe's coming in here 3-1, and one, like, oh, I'm so good at this. I'm so much better than anybody else. We'll see about that, Joe. Hey, you never know. I, I, we had a last week, uh, you know, first-time competitor almost beat him, so we'll see how it goes. Um, also this week, we have a returning consultant judge for at least part of the episode, um, and I'm looking forward to having him here and helping me make my rulings for when he is available. Uh, introduce yourself and tell us if your thought process has changed doing this for the second time. Hey, everybody. Uh, Jordan Wright, uh, living with the one and only the Joe Fricky. Um, I was actually, you made a good point about Tristan. I said last week we almost had a brand new competitor uh, unseat the reigning champ. So uh, hopefully we can get some really good competition again. I think I'm going to uh, stick to the same general game plan I had last time is uh, try and understand where they're coming from with their pitches, take some good notes, and, and spit it back out with my own thoughts. Cool. Sounds good. Um, so like I said, we have, as usual, we have nine movies and nine rules. They have to apply one to each movie. Um, I'm going to read the list of movies now, and then uh, Jordan is going to let us know what rules we have. Um, so we have Back to School from 1986, Citizen Kane from 1941, Commando from 1985, Doom from 2005, Howard the Duck from 1986, John Wick from 2014, Misery from 1990, School of Rock from 2003, and The Terminator from 1984. Uh, and Jordan, let us know what rules we have. All right. Uh, so this week, the nine rules are, one must include a character made famous by Angelina Jolie. One must be a Leica movie. One must have a cast compromised of only video game characters. One must include a WWE Hall of Famer. One must include characters from only Tarantino movies. One must be set in the world of X-Men. One must be a zombie movie. One must include time travel. And one must include the cast of Hotel Artemis. All right. Should be some interesting pitches with those rules. Um, Tristan won the toss before the matchup, and he chose to do Doom first. Um, but he's going to let Joe do the uh, opening pitch. Um, I'll give you a little rundown. Uh, Doom from 2005 received a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, and according to Wikipedia, Doom is a 2005 science, science fiction action film that is loosely based on the video game series of the same name. The film stars Carl Urban, Rosamund Pike, and Dwayne Johnson. In the film, a group of Marines are sent on a rescue mission to a facility on Mars where they encounter genetically engineered creatures. Uh, it's not a very good movie, so let's see if we can prove it. Uh, right. uh, Joe, you're up. 
All right, so I'll just start. My director is going to be Lee Winnell, who did uh, Upgrade. He also directed the recent adaptation of The Invisible Man. Uh, So my plot. In the future, a portal to Mars is found in the Nevada desert. Using the portal, a laboratory is built on the distant planet. One day, a distress signal is sent from Mars containing one word, doom. The government freaks out and realizes they need the best of the best of the best to be sent to Mars to retrieve the scientific info, rescue any survivors, and kill whatever else they find. And this is where my rule comes in, because they decide to use a time machine to get some of the best soldiers throughout history. So for my cast, my Sarge is uh, Keanu Reeves, who is a present day in regards to the movie. Uh, He's going to be the leader of the team. Uh, in the role of the Destroyer is going to be Till Schweiger. He played Higo Stiglitz in Inglorious Bastards. He's going to be a German World War I soldier. Uh, my Reaper is going to be Michael B. Jordan, a Vietnam War soldier. Uh, my Goat is Logan Marshall Green. Uh, he, was all, he was the star of Upgrade. He's going to be a Korean soldier, uh, Korean War soldier. Uh, my Mac is going to be Jack Rayner from Midsummer and uh, Sing Street. He's going to be a f- member of the Irish Republican Army. My Duke is Marwan Kanzari. Uh, he played Jafar in the live-action Aladdin movie. He's going to be a soldier in the Syrian Civil War. My Portman is Walton Goggins from Justified and Django Unchained. He's going to be a member of the American Civil War. In the role of the kid is going to be Ryan Potter, who currently plays Beast Boy in Titans, and he's going to be a Japan. He's going to have fought for the Japanese in World War II. So. The group is assembled and sent to Mars and face a group of mutated humans that were created via experiments. Throughout the movie, members of the group die. Eventually, some of the mutants head to Earth through the portal where Reaper and Sarge, the last true survivors, follow them and execute them. Reaper sacrifices himself by getting the mutants to follow him back through the portal and pulling a grenade, blowing them and the station up. And that is my pitch for Doom. Okay, interesting pitch. Uh, Tristan, let's hear yours. All right, my doom was written and directed by James Gunn. Uh, it, it has a rock returning as Doom Guy. He's a mechanically enhanced super soldier, and his team is a gun jumping nerd played by Evan Peters, a sarcastic sniper played by, played by Nathan Fillion, and a nervous and quiet navigator played by Ellen Page. We start out jumping right into a mission here. They're, they got a distress signal from Mars. Some base went offline, and they're not sure why, and now they're going and searching out for the base, trying to figure out what happened. And as they arrive, they're going hall by hall, and they find out all these scientists are just scorched and burnt to death and torn to pieces, and they realize immediately something really, really bad happened here. So they they go through the whole base and eventually uncover this mysterious machine that was digging deep into the core of Mars, and they follow it down to uncover they broke into an ancient tomb of a Martian demon. It's filled with demons that are now invading the, the base and trying to overtake Mars. So they think they're going to leave, but Doomguy insists that they have a mission, they have to stay. So they go and try and fight the demons. And as they're fighting the demons, Ellen Page, who's a quiet navigator, throws in a probe that tries to map out the whole tomb underneath them. And in that process, she sacrifices herself and she dies. So they flee back to their ship. And they're in contact with their leaders who say, okay, we can't get all of our team out to help you guys, but we can get one person who's nearby. And then shows up as Angelina Jolie as the Tomb Raider. It's a crossover between Doom and Tomb Raider. And Angelina Jolie has to, has to team up with The Rock as Doom Guy to invade this ancient alien tomb. Okay. 
All right, so got a couple of video game characters crossing over there. Um, Jordan, do you have any any questions based on that, those initial pitches? Uh, yeah, actually, I have questions for both you guys. Uh, Joe, I the way your pitch came off, um, I feel like uh, it would be really interesting to see that cast uh, assembled. Um, I feel like they could make some playful jokes based off of who they are and where they came from, and it would be a little bit lighter hearted than Trist- lighter hearted, excuse me, than Tristan's maybe on the whole. Do you see yours being having a little bit more of a of a comedy or a funny element? I mean- It'll have comedic. I mean, it's more of like a serious movie, but it's definitely going to have okay. a comedic moments between the interactions. Like when you have a Confederate World War II or a Confederate Civil War soldier, and he's in there with like a member of the Syrian Civil War and a black, you know, Vietnam War yeah. soldier. You're going to have some tension, and you're going to have some fighting, and you're going to. Have- but it's going to be like there's going to be a camaraderie. Like he's going to learn. Like maybe racism is wrong in- throughout the movie. Maybe not. Maybe maybe that's not. No, I like it. That's what I was thinking the whole time is like with the diversity of this background, um, it could be really interesting to see uh, how they play off each other and what they learn and develop along the way throughout the movie. Uh, Tristan, um, I really like uh, your your pitch from A to Z. Um, I like that you actually bring the rock back. Um, I think even like a, a subtle hint that, hey, yeah, maybe once we made a bad movie about this, but we're trying it again would be really funny and I think would actually do some service to the fans overall. Um, I get the feeling that yours is complete opposite of Joe's, that maybe it's actually a little bit more uh, uh, scary. I don't want to say like a horror movie at all, but probably a little more intense, a little more edge on your seat. Is that how it's supposed to come off? Yeah, I wanted to lean into that part of the original Doom franchise. It's sort of this like balls to the wall, like gory horror action movie. And even it might not be super terrifying, but you at least get the gory, you get the scares, you get, you know, Tomb Raider and, and Doom Guy are kind of iconic, you know, leads of massive long running franchises now. And I think they'd be cool personalities to kind of go head to head and compete for leadership and ultimately have to work together at the end to beat the demons. I like it. I like it. Thanks, guys. All right, I don't have I, that answered a lot of what I was getting at, which was with tone. Um, so yeah, just fight it out, and uh, then I'll get to my ruin. I guess I I like Tristan's movie. My only question is like, is is there a movie a Doom movie? It feels more like just like a Rock and Tomb Raider team up movie more than like an actual Doom movie. And I question whether Doom fans would be would go into this movie expecting a Doom movie, and when they get you know Doom meets. Tomb Raider, are they going to leave satisfied and are they going to leave happy? What's less of a Doom movie than two badasses invading an alien base and killing demons the whole time? I think that's more Doom than a bunch of soldiers from various American wars showing up and having one-liners. Hey, I got more than American wars. I got, like, Syrian soldiers. (laughs) I got members of the IRA. You know, they're not just Americans. I got people from all over the world and they're all badasses from all over throughout history. And then, I mean, I mean sure, I'm not saying my guys aren't badasses. They're all like top of the top. You know, they're, they're the the military says we want the best of the best. Well, mine are the best of the best of the best. Are they the rock though? I mean, I feel like the rock. I got is Keanu kind of the Reeves. <laughs> Keanu Reeves is his own best version of the rock. The rock can't do serious. The rock, the rock fight scenes are like basically his WWE moves. Where Keanu Reeves fight scenes, like people talk about the. You know, the John Wick fight scenes. No one's out here talking about how amazing the fight scenes are in Jumanji. Well, I think Doom is where you go for the big bombastic dumb stuff rather than like the gritty realism of a John Wick movie. You want to see something be big and ridiculous as Doom. But they tried that and it got a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes where everyone loves John Wick. 
Well, they didn't try that. They weren't very movie. They weren't very game accurate with that movie. That was why it failed. Well, I didn't play the game, of... so I don't know about all that. But <laughs> all right, you have any any uh, major points you guys want to make about either your movie or to take down each other? Uh, I don't have any points, but some uh, people in the comments do. Okay, if that. Yeah. So. Let's see what we got. I like Joe's cast. Okay. Thanks, Alex. Basic. I, simple. Yeah. Love it. I like it. <laughs> there we and go. <laughs> there you go. Good comment. Right, that's, cool. that's it. All right. Um, so if you guys don't have anything, uh, did that, did anything sway your opinion, Jordan, based on that? Uh, I think I uh, kind of know where I'm going, but. Yeah, so uh, Joe brought up a point that at first I agreed with, and he said, is it even still a Doom movie? But I think Tristan successfully defended it, and I came around to see, yeah, it, it really is. It's definitely a fusion of the two, um, but I could still see it. As long as you have the, the overall uh, plot of Doom, the, the Angelina Jolie version, um, I think they'd play well off each other, and uh, I think that would, that would definitely be a movie I'd want to see. Yeah, um, so where I was going is – I. I thought you both used your rule well. Um, I think it would be cool to have a video game team up. Um, and I also like the idea of recruiting members from a bunch of different time periods to, to kind of com- to beat these aliens. Um, so I like that. But really, it just came down to your directors and your cast because uh, your pitches were similar. But I just feel like Lee Winnell, uh, I think he doesn't fit the movie you were pitching with his previous work where you were trying to make it a little bit more fun. It sounded like, at least that's what you would, you had kind of hinted at. Um, and I think James Gunn fits what the tone that Tristan was going for really well. And I can see his cast. Uh, that's a really fun cast for a James Gunn movie with the rock, Evan Peters, Nathan Fillion, Ellen page. I really love all them. And I just, that, that mix and that tone made it just sound like a movie I would want to watch. So I'm going to give it to Tristan. I'll take it. Oh man. First point goes yeah. to the new guy. Yay. <laughs> All right. All right. So, so I'm, I got to swing for the fences here. I got to go for my pitch. That's probably my favorite. So I'm going to go with uh, school of rock school of rock. All right. I love this movie. So I'm looking forward to this um, school of rock from 2003. got a 91% on rotten tomatoes. Um, and it's described as after being kicked out of his rock band, Dewey Finn becomes a substitute teacher of an uptight elementary private school only to try and turn his class into a rock band. And this is one of my favorite comedies and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing it. So let's get it started. Oh, uh, I didn't say who go first, but I'll go first. That's, okay. no, that's fine. So my director is going to be uh, Travis Knight. He did uh, Kubo and the Two Strings and Bumblebee, which kind of leads into my rule because I'm making School of Rock a Leica movie. Uh, and if you don't know what Leica is, they do uh, stop motion animated movies, uh, mostly. Well, I guess I should say exclusively stop motion animated movies. They did Kubo and the Two Strings. They did uh, Missing Link. I think they helped out with Box Trolls. So anyways, my cast is, is uh, Dewey Flynn. Originally, Jack Black is now going to be Hugh Jackman. Uh, my Ned is now going to be played by John Cena. My Rosalie Mullins, originally Joan Cusack, is now going to be Scarlett Johansson. And then for the kids, I didn't really do like a one-to-one replacement. I just kind of got an assortment of kids. Uh, my Caitlin or uh, Caitlin Dever from Booksmart is one of my kids. I have uh, Jack Dylan Grazer from Shazam and It. I have Chosen Jacobs from It. Jacob Tremblay from Room and Good Boys. Quivenzene Wallace from 
Annie and Beasts of the Southern Wild, and then finally McKenna Grace from Haunting of Hill House. So, my pitch. In the Stone Age, young children go to school to learn two things, to hunt and gather. When his cavemate Ned becomes sick and can't work as a substitute, Dewey pretends to be him to make, uh, or to get extra food. Dewey was always a bit of an outcast, and he gets tired of teaching them to hunt and gather, so he teaches them to rock. When students' parents find out, they grow angry and ask for Dewey to be fired, but change their minds when they see how happy their kids are. And that's my pitch. I made it a literal school of rock. I, okay. I got some questions on that, but we'll get to that later on. Um, Tristan, let's hear yours. Uh, interesting pick for the rule, because I did the same rule. <laughs> I made school wow. of rock like a movie, and I also had Travis Knight coming and directing it. Mine is more towards the original ice cast. Dewey is Will Smith, and a villain singer of this of his previous band is Adam Levine. Adam Levine, and you pretty much just have all of Maroon Five as cameoing as like his previous bandmates. I was inspired particularly by how Kubo uses music to try to connect people and sort of awaken people's uh, goodness inside of them. So I wanted to kind of approach this with Will Smith being this performer who's tired of being in a pop rock band that just lip syncs all the time and does next on performance. So after a big performance where he goes kind of off the wall and ape shit and gives a crazy performance and his band gets mad at him and says, that's not what we do. We're a pop band. We're just here to entertain. We're not here to actually give a musical show. So they say, if you're not going to go along with this, we're going to have to fire you. So he gets fired and he's forced to work as a teacher at a community college music professor and as a, as a music professor at a community college he's very jaded and distasteful towards music he thinks rock music is all a joke now and it's not like it was when he was a kid but as he sees the passion of these students who have nothing really connecting them to each other they're all very different but they connect over their music taste so he says okay let's use it to our advantage we're gonna perform and buy out a festival slot that's right before my previous band and we're going to go up there and we're going to perform great versions of their songs and then reveal that they're lip syncing the whole time. So he teaches his students essentially to become a Maroon 5 cover band. They perform rock and punk versions of Maroon 5 songs and give these crazy performances of big right ahead of Maroon 5 and then reveal at the end before the band comes on that they're lip syncing and sabotage their equipment. So Maroon 5 has to perform with no lip syncs and of course, they bomb and fail, and everyone likes the new band more. All right, mm. really interesting. Um, I kind of want to clarify something because I feel like I missed something really quick on yours, Joe. So, with the school of rock being literally rock, but there is music, and they're playing music. Oh yeah, right? like there, there, but, there's music, and he like gives them instruments and all of that. Like we're so not. What, what kind of music are they playing? It's you know, rock the music, game? man. I mean, okay. we're going to, like, pretend, like, that they can still be taught ACDC and all that. Okay, like, so it's, it a, actually... it's an animated movie. Like, the l- rules and all that get thrown out. Like, when we watch The Lion King, we're not going to, yeah. we're not, like, I don't think the lions have the vocal cords to pull that right. off. But it's, it's more, like, fantastical. Like, back in the Stone Age, they have something that can make an electric guitar sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Okay. We're, yeah, yeah, we're not worried about actual, like, rules and laws and history here. It's, all right. <laughs> Yeah, that was the, their last movie theory. was about a Sasquatch, so like I don't think <laughs> they really true. care that much about. No, no, it. I just wanted to clarify for how I'm ruling this, and then uh, 
Um, so Tristan, for yours, is it actually Maroon 5 then? It's supposed to be Maroon 5? I mean, it might not actually be Maroon 5. It might just be a cameo and they're playing pop music. It would depend on, obviously, if you can get the rights to Maroon 5, but I would love for it to be a direct parody of Maroon 5. Okay, so just at least in that vein. All right, Jordan, do you have anything you want to ask? Yeah, uh, so Tristan, I think your pitch would have worked perfect for last week's Have a Celebrity cameo as themselves. Um, uh, but I still really, really like the idea of yours overall. I think it fits the general uh, the rule a little bit better. Uh, or I'm sorry, not the rule, the general plot of the movie overall. Um, I could still see it uh, uh, working with the with the general plot of the movie being compared to the first one because the, the point is to make, you know, how do we pitch and make the movie better or at least different enough that it can still be really good? I think that would be closer to the 91% on Rotten Tomatoes than Joe's would get. But I'm not really seeing how turning it into that type of movie would benefit it overall. Um. But uh, I, I am very curious to see how Will Smith's energy in a lot of his movies, he has a really you know, up-tempo type energy uh, that's fun and, and interesting to be around. Uh, I, I'm really curious to see how that would work, but I'm not sure 100% about how the rule would, would come into play. Um, Joe, with yours, uh, <clears throat> I'll be honest with you. I don't really think that's one I would probably choose to go see. I think it, you're right. It is ridiculous. I know they had a movie about a Sasquatch. We just last it, watched it last weekend. Um, it's just not something isn't, isn't connecting inside of my mind with that one. So uh, both of these are, are really interesting. Uh, I think Tristan's I, I fits a little bit better uh, with the plot, but I think yours definitely fits the rule better. Yeah, I, I agree. So I think um, definitely fight it out. Uh, but, but before we do, do get to that, we have a live comment to get to. And we have Tristan sounds like the story of Millie Vanilli. You know what? That's not bad. Yeah. Um, that, that would be interesting. That would be pretty I'm funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, I really need to hear some defenses on Joe's for sure, because uh, right now it just doesn't quite sound enough like school of rock to me. So I kind of need to hear that. And then Tristan kind of just defend your rule choice and how that's going to add to it. All right. I'll start. I'll just say, I think mine works because it's about a substitute teacher. Who's an outcast who like is stuck with these students who doesn't know what to do with them. He doesn't want to teach them their boring lessons about history. And, but mine is like, he doesn't want to teach them the boring thing of hunting and gathering. And so he teaches something that he thinks is fun and something that he thinks is interesting and something that's new to these students. (laughs) Because, Part of the thing was in in the original is like these kids have never heard of Black Sabbath. They've never heard of ACDC. And so that's the thing is the kids in my movie have never heard of any of the music because they're stuck in these old like camaraderie town of just, oh, we hunt and we gather and we just try to survive and we don't worry about having fun. And I feel like mine fits the rule better because you have Missing Link is like has a Sasquatch in it and it's like this weird thing and it's not just people all the time and same with Kubo and the two strings you have like a monkey walking around and you have like a guy with a beetle and I feel like Tristan's is just people and as he pitching as he talked about his movie all I could see was I kept picturing it in live action with the people there and I also don't know if Maroon 5 is going to sign up to for a movie where they just get roasted and shit on for an entire movie. <laughs> I think Adam Levine would be down for it. He was in Sing Street, and I mean, uh, he was in Begin Again. That was kind of like a roasting of pop music and saying, oh, get back to like the core of what music is. I think he would kind of re- relate to like that core theme of it. 
And I think he'd relate to the humanizing too. You get someone that's a big, huge superstar, a big, massive group like Maroon 5, Super Bowl halftime show band, but they have like a humor about themselves and they can say like, oh yeah, we can make fun of pop music too. My use of the rule I would defend with saying that I think animation is all about bringing people together and looking beyond what divides us. And I think that's something that School of Rock was all about. You had very different kids who were able to see something in common with each other and come together. And I think if it's going to be a family movie, something that people would all go out to see together, it's something that a family would all get something out of. But adults would get to laugh at the pop music puns and the jokes and how music in my day is so much better than your music now and those kinds of jokes. But the kids would get to see big pop performances like Trolls level pop performances if they wanted to or they, and they could also get the family theme dynamic of people coming together rather than coming apart, especially now when everyone's so divided and so angry. It'd be nice to have something focused on music that can bring everyone together. All right. Anything else between you guys? No, I think I've attacked what I've attacked, you know, (laughs) I do like your use of the rule. I think it's interesting, but I also think it kind of goes so too far away from it and misses the idea of the original movie. So that's just my, my defense, my attack on yours. I think I've defended like that point with what I said about it connecting yeah. with like the kids, not. Yeah, I see how it's School of Rock, um, but uh, yeah, Jordan, what are your thoughts uh, after hearing their? Yeah, uh, uh, Joe, you know, the more you talk about yours, the more I think that you did use the rule better. Um, I think if School of Rock hadn't been made and yours came out, it would be the standard for it. Uh, because it makes a lot of sense when you talk about it and, and what it could be. But I think the, the weakness in it is that since you know we're making an established movie better, it would be difficult um, because it'd be so different. Um, but I, I think you did use the rule better. Yeah, so, so my thoughts are basically, it's interesting because you both use the same rule. That's always one of the tougher things to judge. So they're both like a movie. They're going to have similar tones. It's both Travis Knight. Um, I think just what it comes down to for me is that uh, Tristan's just sounded more true to School of Rock and just sounded a little bit more, I think it just sounded like a more fun movie with that kind of rivalry with the whole parody of Maroon 5. Um, I think Will Smith has a lot of personality and he can be a great lead voice. Um, I don't love the casting of John Cena as a voice. Um, so in in uh, Joe's, so it just it's it's by a little bit, but I think I'm going to give this one to Tristan as well. So he's up two, two Not doing Joe, good here, boys. Yeah, Joe's got to pick it up. Not even drunk this time. I didn't actually <laughs> see that coming. I thought you were going to give it to Joe for sure, just for use of the rule. But uh, I'm, I mean, yeah. I would see both of these movies. Me I really too. would. I, it's one of those. It, it was very minor for me. I, I do think that Joe might have used the rule a little better, but just Tristan's movie sounded better to me. So. Yeah, I, I thought your rule was really fascinating. I thought it was an interesting take on it. Not somewhere I would have thought to go with it. Well, I was just going through the rules, like trying to figure out where am I going to put the Leica movie? And I saw School of Rock. And as soon as I said that in my head, I saw Cavemen. And I'm like, perfect. That's exactly what I'm going to do with this movie. So there were some desperate desperate picks on this list. I was like, half the time I was pretty much just like, well, fuck it. I can figure something out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, This is, I was talking before the show. This is the first time where there weren't any rules that I immediately paired with a movie of like, oh, this definitely goes together. Everything I had to like work to find and figure something out for. But I will say the next movie I'm going to pick is Terminator, and I'm going to let Tristan go first. So, Bobby, hit us up and tell us about Terminator. All right. So, Terminator, let me uh, 
get to it here. It's a pretty classic movie. Uh, from 1984, it has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and it's described as a human soldier is sent from 2029 to 1984 to stop an almost indestructible cyborg killing machine sent from the same year, which has been programmed to execute a young woman whose unborn son is the key to humanity's future salvation. And I thought it was interesting they used the term salvation in there. But uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I, didn't, yeah. Um, I didn't even catch that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tristan, let's hear yours. All right. Uh, mine was written and directed by Lee Winnell. And as soon as I saw my cast, you'll know what the rule was. Uh, my Terminator is Stone Cold Steve Austin. My Sarah Connor is uh, Tammy Lee Sitch. And my Kyle Reese is Bret Hart. So I pretty much filled the whole cast with WWE people. It's going to follow a pretty similar plot. Uh, Austin's Terminator, he was sent back in time to kill Sarah Connor to stop a war from, to stop a rebellion from growing in the war. Kyle Reese, I made him a, a, an enhanced soldier, so he has some kind of like cyber enhancements to his body, but he's not obviously a full-blown Terminator, and he was sent back to the past to protect Sarah Connor at all costs. I decided to make him an enhanced fighter because I think it would make the fights a little more even, and I think when you see wrestlers in movies like this, you want them to be sort of like fist-to-fist -fist fighting each other rather than just a robot who can like whip the shit out of any human being instantly. All right. And I think uh, uh, the yeah. Terminator franchise kind of does get into commentary like that. Like, oh, what's the difference between human and man or human and, and robot? What's the line? How far can we go in a society and be technologically dependent before we become sellouts to the robots who take us over? And I think having one of the main characters be sort of cybernetically enhanced himself would be interesting. So that's why I went with that direction. Okay. Interesting pitch. Let's hear Joe's. All right, I'll say our, our Kyle Reese type characters are going to be a little similar. Uh, so uh, for my Terminator, and don't get too far ahead of me here, in the near future, former military colonel and vice president of Cyber9 Systems, William Stryker, has decided to send one of their killer robots back in time to kill 19-year-old Sharon Xavier, who will give birth to Charles, or Professor Charles Xavier, leader of the X-Men. That's right. The rule I am using is I am setting my movie in the world of the X-Men. Charles... Realizing what happened, sent back one of his fellow professors uh, back in time to stop the Terminator, the Wolverine. The movie is about the Wolverine protecting Sharon Xavier from the evil and unstoppable Terminator. My director is Alex Garland, who uh, directed Ex Machina, and he's also the showrunner on the Hulu show Devs. On uh, my cast, for my Wolverine, I have Shia LaBeouf. For my, for my Professor X, I have Jeremy Irons. For Sharon Xavier, I have Daisy Ridley. Uh, for Colonel William Stryker, I have Denzel Washington, and my Terminator is Dave Bautista. And I just like the idea of, you know, a machine that's only objective is to kill to go up against someone that literally can't be killed. All right, so uh, I'm not going to lie. Right now, this one's a little bit of a runaway, but I need to hear the uh, the arguments. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Jordan? Do you have any specific questions? Yeah, uh, Tristan, uh, with yours, you know, you had a lot of the WWE Hall of Famers in there. Um, are you going to incorporate uh, some of the, the wrestling into the movie? Because you were talking about the fight scenes and things like that. So I was wondering, is it going to be a WWE movie or is it going to be Terminator? And I feel like, uh, as unfortunate as it may sound, you know, I don't think anybody expects a lot 
or a ton out of the WWE guys and, and ladies when they move into the, the actual Hollywood feature films. Um, not that they couldn't or that they don't evolve or get better because they definitely do. Um, but I feel like the overall serious tone of the Terminator and what it stands for with like the ethical thoughts and, 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 you know, where is the difference and how it makes you think would be difficult for that cast to pull off. So, um, Joe, I, I really like your cast. Uh, I haven't seen uh, uh, some of these guys in, in a role like that. So I think just everyone you have in there would be really, really interesting to see. I think it, it, it fits uh, your rule really well, bringing it into the X-Men universe. And I think that would be a crossover that would be fascinating to watch. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought that was actually pretty genius. Um, I really love that pitch. And I, just, I would see that as an X-Men movie and an X-Men fan and not be mad. Uh, and same as a Terminator fan. So, um, Tristan, I think you need a little work here. But I start with the the WWE superstars. Um, how are they? Kind of like like uh, Jordan was getting at. Lee Winnell focuses a lot on his performances in his movies. So, um, is that going to be something that's really focused on here? Is it going to be the serious drama where they they have to do a lot of acting, or is it more action? What are you getting at with that one? I think it would be more action. It wouldn't be as intense on the drama. I think what was good and upgrade was that it was that sort of gritty take. And it was sort of, it wasn't like a big sale action movie. I think it's what Terminator has to get back to is something smaller. But I also think that they've gotten to that big scale where you, it's kind of, it'd be fun to see sort of these B tier actors come in and this reunion of these attitude era stars coming back together and to Terminator and Kyle Reese having this beef back in the day, it would be kind of fun to see them go back toe to toe again. And I think, in regards to the fighting, it wouldn't be entirely wrestling based, but I do think you could get them hand to hand. You can get them fighting, and I think something like that. When you get two wrestlers together, you want to see them fighting. So I think you would get that gritty one to one battle between Kyle Reese and Terminator. And since he's cybernetically enhanced, you'd be able to put put up a fight up. And the franchise and the Terminator franchise has gotten a few of those where it's like, oh, this is going to be like a Terminator versus another Terminator. It's going to be like, oh, this guy's Seth half Terminator, half human. It isn't always Terminator. And I think they want to get the end of the franchise, but they haven't really gotten it to work well in the last few movies. So I wanted to get what their overall goal is for the franchise to fit in here still without going into that big scale action that Genesis and those last couple ones have gotten into. Okay. Do uh, you guys any, have any major takedowns or just want to build on your movie? Yeah, I'll just say, I think overall with the like, the tone, like, I just don't know if I see Lee Winnell working and getting like a great performance out of like Bret Hart and Steve Austin and those people like, like the condemned is like a good action movie with Steve Austin. I don't know if I've ever seen Bret Hart act outside of like what he has to do naturally in the WWE. So he could be like the, he could be, you know, Daniel day Lewis, or he could be Tommy Wiseau. We have no idea. Schwarzenegger is barely acting in the first Terminator movie. They knew how to lean into what he could do and what he did right without <laughs> having to like push him to further than he had to be. They were like, oh, he can deliver great one-liners. He's super intense. He's big and scary. Let's do all that and not try and make him do more than you can do. So I think if you can lean into what these guys can do, you'll be able to get something out of it. Because no one goes to Terminator and is like, oh, man, that powerful performance of Arnold Schwarzenegger is why I'm here. You go to it because you want to see and be a badass and hear him say funny one-liners and say all the famous quotes. And I think they knew how to lean into this talent of their stars, even if they weren't top tier talent. Yeah, that's fair enough. I just think overall, if I'm, you know, if I have to ha- put 
choose between my Terminator of Dave Batista or Bret Hart, I'm going to take, I feel like Dave Batista is less of a risk of it being bad. Yeah, I, th- I think I think I pretty much know where I'm going here. Um, do you have anything you want to, to add, really quick, Jordan? Before before I get to my ruling. Uh, yeah, uh, just a, a just a couple of uh, last comments. I think I think we're on the same page on this one. Um, I just don't see it going that way, Tristan. I I think it could be done. Um, I don't know if it could be done exactly like you're pitching it. I get where you're coming from, and I totally understand. I just I just don't see it. Um, whereas Joe's, I think you absolutely hit a grand slam with this pitch. I think I would be really excited to see this. I think uh, uh, it could be really exciting. It's a it's a lot darker of a tone than I'm getting from Tristan's, and it would be interesting to see Daisy Ridley in a type of role like that because I think I think her best role is yet to come. I mean, I know she's you know relatively young and all this, but I just think it could be a a, a really good uh, a movie overall. Yeah, no, I agree. I- I think, um, unfortunately, Tristan, you ran into kind of a, like like Jordan said, a grand slam. That's one of my favorite pitches I've heard, um, especially because I do love X-Men um, and I love the premise of Terminator. So, and I think that just fits perfectly. Um, if, if Tristan, if you had maybe used only one WWE Hall of Famer and put that as the Terminator and then cast some good actors in the other roles surrounding him, I think you could have made a little bit of a better pitch to get that gritty original tone of that first one. But uh Unfortunately, I don't think you're going to get very uh, great performances out of those WWE superstars, and I just really love Joe's pitch, so I'm giving it to Joe, and it's 2-1. All right. Oh, yeah, we have some... Uh, I was like, well, that's not good. Yeah. Yeah, we have some uh, live yeah. comments as well. Yeah, let's see. Shia is Wolverine. I like it. Yeah, I like that a lot, too. I think he can... Johnny <laughs> and Johnny, our uh, usual host or competitor, says, miss you guys. Miss you, too. Maybe you can pop in here. Not sure where you're at. But, uh, um, all right. Uh, yeah, Joe, um, oops, you guys hate it. <laughs> Johnny just keeps commenting. I, I mean, Hey, they can work in the right role and if they've acted a lot before, but yeah, I'm just not seeing it there. Got anything else coming in or is that the last one? All right. That's the last one. Yeah. Okay. So what, what, right. what, what are we hitting next, Tristan? Next up. Let's go with back to school. Back to school. Back to school. And I'll go first. Okay. Uh, so back to school from 1986 has a, an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, back to school is a 1986 American comedy film starring Rodney Dangerfield, Keith Gordon, Burt Young, William Zabka, Ned Beatty, Be- 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 Sam Kinison, and Robert Downey Jr. It was directed by Alan Metter. Uh, the plot centers on a wealthy but undis- und educated father played by Dangerfield who goes to a college to show solidarity solidarity with his discouraged son, Jason, and learns that he cannot buy an education or happiness. All right. Let's hear, uh, let's hear your, your pitch. All right. My back to school used the entire cast of Hotel Artemis. Mm-hmm. I had Charlie Day as Thornton. Sterling K. Brown as Jason, who is a type A math teacher. Sophia Butella is his literature teacher and love interest. Zachary Quinto shows up as a gym teacher who's always trying to spy on them and rat out the parties. Dave Batista is a frat DJ who keeps chugging shots and getting in fights every night. And Jodie Foster is a loosey-goosey principal who has no rules and doesn't care about her college at all and just wants it to be a huge party school. 
So Charlie Days Thornton is a college dropout who has no real direction in his life, but he has a job at a retail store. And when he loses it, he decides to go back to school, but not to get an education, but to reclaim his legendary status as the top drinker of his frat. <laughs> so he returns and slacks off in classes, focusing pretty much only on partying on the weekends. And Sterling K. Brown is his math teacher. He's a dorky nerd who he went to school with when he was in college before he dropped out. And Thornton was kind of a bully to Sterling K. Brown when they were in school together. So now Sterling K. Brown's the one in charge of him. And he tells him, hey, look, I'm not going to let you do any shit. You're going to actually learn this time. And if you fail my class, you're going to fail out of this school. And meanwhile, Thornton's developing some romantic interest in his literature professor, who's played by Sophia Botella. Uh, she was also a student with him, and he had a crush on her when they were in school, but he never really said anything. And she agrees to meet with him to study, but he only wants to hook up. But when he gets there, she's using her totally super hot literature knowledge to woo him over. And he decides not to hook up with her, but to actually be friends with her and take her seriously. And she says, if you read... He tells him, read The Great Gatsby, and then we'll, we can go on a date together. Thornton finds out about a costume party at his frat where he decides to bring uh, Sophia Botella's character with him on a date. And he says, it's a costume party. You can wear a mask. And no one's going to recognize you. So she decides to go with him. But meanwhile, Sterling K. Brown confronts him and says, you're failing my class. I'm going to have to fail you. The year's almost over. You haven't picked up your slack. And he says, hey, look, Jason. If I bring you out to this party and you have a great time, would you pass me? And he eventually agrees and says yes. So the third act has has uh, Thornton at this party trying to play double duty. He's there on a date with Sophia trying to woo her. and But meanwhile, he's also trying to be with Jason and make him have a good time and make both of them think that he's only there for them. So antics ensue when Thornton is challenged to win back his drinking record. So he gets completely wasted, chugging and chugging and chugging and his plan completely falls apart when he reveals the truth to Sophia and she sees him and and realizes that he's he's just there at a party. He doesn't care at all about her. The police come and break up the party and they're all forced to run out. And Thornton's on the street throwing up when he reunites with Sophia. And she asks him, what's he going to do now? And he says, oh, I don't really know. I'm going to fail out of school now because I obviously he didn't have a good time. And she said, and he, she says, or he says, maybe I shouldn't be recreating the past. And then he quotes the end of Great Gatsby and says, see, it's leading into the past, right? And Sophia smiles and says, wow, you really read, read the book? And he says, well, of course, I read the book you wanted me to. And right, right then, Jason runs up behind them. His clothes are all torn up, and he's covered in beer stains, and he's super hyped. And he says, oh, my God, running from the cops like that was the most fun I've had in 25 years. So, of course, I'm going to pass you. But you have to actually try next semester and earn the grade. So Thornton agrees and says, next year I'm actually going to try, and walks off hand in hand with Sophia. All right. All right. I'm not going to lie. that I was not expecting the longest pitch of the day to come to, from back to school, yeah. but <laughs> I, I, think that was, yeah, I think that was pretty yeah. awesome. So uh, let's see. All yours, right, Joe. so my back to school is my director is Sean Anders, who did uh, The Instant Family, which is a family movie that came out a few years ago uh, starring Mark Wahlberg. So for my cast, for my Thornton Mellon, this is where my rule comes in because I cast WWE Hall of Famer Ric Flair as my Thornton Mellon. My Dr. Diane Turner, the kind of love interest in the movie, is going to be played by Selma Hayek. My Professor Philip Barbe, who's kind of the third in this love triangle with uh, Diane Turner and Thornton Mellon, is uh, Colin Firth. 
Uh, Thornton Mellon's son, Jason, is going to be played by Ty, Ty Sheridan, who is in Ready Player One and Mud. Uh, my Derek Lutz, Jason's best friend, uh, replacing Robert Downey Jr. is going to be Noah Galvin, who's kind of like the nerdy gay kid in Booksmart. And then Chaz, replacing William Zapka, uh, a.k.a. Johnny Lawrence from Karate Kid, is going to be Dacker Montgomery, who was in uh, Stranger Things and uh, Power Rangers as the Red Ranger. And so my movie is going to be very similar to the first one. The movie is about a father who got rich in business without a degree goes to co- and goes to college with his young son. Uh, one thing I'm changing is instead of diving, the sport is going to be wrestling because I have Ric Flair. It's not going to be like WWE style wrestling. It's going to be like collegiate actual wrestling. Uh, because of this, the business that he ran will be an athletic wear chain instead of a big and tall chain. And I'm saying Ric Flair is basically going to play his WWE character as Thornton Mellon. He isn't going to be playing the character the way Rodney Dangerfield did. His Thornton Mellon is going to be a styling, profiling, limousine riding, jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling and dealing son of a gun. And so, and that's basically uh, my movie. It's a little bit different, but it's a lot, it's a lot of the same. Okay. And that was definitely geared towards when you thought Alex was going to be judging. Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that one had Alex Gibson yeah. all over it, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, I don't really – I kind of understand the movies other than just – I kind of want to hear the rating, like what kind of what kind of movie. Is it R-rated, PG, PG-13? Yeah. Yeah, mine's you? like PG-13. Like, I mean, it's it's PG-13, but it's still like a family movie. Like, Okay. Tristan? Mine would be a – PG-13 maybe leaning in towards an R, but I think it would go more towards the adult crowd than the family crowd. Okay. Uh, do you have anything you want to add? Sort of like ask? a super bad. Yeah. Okay. Uh, actually, I was going to add uh, or uh, question the ratings on each movie too, because I could I could actually see this movie going anywhere from a G rating, maybe yeah. not a G, but somewhere between G and PG-13 all the way up to an R, so I'm glad you asked it. <laughs> Uh, real quick, quick shout out, uh, Joe, you mentioned Booksmart and, uh, per Johnny's, uh, recommendation, I watched it and great movie. So thank you. Yeah, that is a great movie. It is. Uh, Joe, I feel like yours would be ridiculous, but in, in a great way. Um, I feel like it would be really funny. Um, I would love to see Colin Firth in that role. Um, you know, um, most of my experience, if not all of my experience with him, is in like serious stand-up, rigid role. Uh, so I think it would be funny to to see him in that. Um, yours with the the wrestling with Ric Flair, but it being like I don't want to say real wrestling, so I don't want to offend yeah, Alex and have him come down. Fuck but Alex. but <laughs> but like the collegiate Olympic style wrestling, I think would be ironic in a funny way. Um, <clears throat> And I think you overall, you hit the rule a little bit better and it's more to the plot um, uh, of the original, which I think would actually make the movie a little bit better. Uh, Tristan, I actually really like the way you brought your your actors and actresses into uh, what you eventually pitched as the whole movie. I could see Charlie Day and Zachary uh, uh, Quinto uh, being those roles. I think it would be really natural for those people to, to assume those roles and the movie would come off really, really well. Um, I think it'd be a really good uh, modern take on what the older movie was, but maybe not as strictly to the plot. So I like both your pitches quite a bit. Yeah, I'm pretty split right now. I kind of need to hear the arguments to to sway me right because uh, I think Joe's could be kind of crazy fun with uh, Ric Flair, and I just think that Charlie Day's would be a perfect lead for that to, for the movie that you pitched. So uh, yeah, fight it out and try to win me over. Yeah. So my problem with well, Tristan, I went with so- Hotel Artemis for my role. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't think your rule is so much in question, at least for me, but I'm not judging because it's like you cast the people from Hotel Artemis and they all fit the role as you played them. But my only problem with your movie is I think it'd be a good movie. It's definitely something like that trailer comes on. It's something I want to see. My only thing is, I don't know if it's strictly like back to school, like as a fan of the original movie, back to school is like about a father reconnecting with his son. And and it's like, I don't know, your movie doesn't really have that at all. Your movie doesn't even have like a, his son in it. So like if they if they if I saw that trailer and they called it back to school, I would think it's just a different movie with the same title. And I wouldn't even really think that it has is like really connected to the original at all, because it's just like a guy going back to school and he's like not successful in business. He's not he doesn't he's not going back because he wants to spend more time with his son, which is what the original is. It's just like a movie that's about a guy that goes back to school. I wanted to sort of go into the uh, part of the original where it's like this older person who's trying to reclaim his youth. And I think you get Charlie Day going back and reuniting with like his grade school people that he knew in grade school and trying to be like, oh, now I'm cool again. I'm breaking my old record back in, like I had back in college. And he's trying to re-grab that, that energy he had when he was young and eventually having to realize it's not there. And I think part of what back to school was, was seeing this older guy go back to his glory days as a as a college student and sort of not having it be exactly what he remembered it being, but still having a great time doing it and having a really good time with the, the college culture and the fun parties and everything like that. And I think I captured, I tried to capture that in a more modern lens, something that might be more acceptable in like a modern, modern audience. Cause when you watch back to school now, there's a lot of stuff that might not be like super cool. And I don't know, in a more PC culture, I wanted to do something a little more, a little more watchable. <laughs> yeah. The movie didn't age like, amazingly you know it has its problems but yeah i don't know i wanted like i wanted to see if i could turn with the cast of hotel artemis it was harder to go for like an older guy like that but i think back to school one of the special things was that it was this big who's who of comedians from that time and i think hotel artemis was a similar thing it was like oh here's all the big names of drama acting right now on one movie together and i think you could have a fun time with it here back and back to school because you'd still have all those big names but the comedy roles might be a little bit of a subversion because you're seeing people play more comedic roles that they might not always be playing other than charlie day obviously is a comedian but when you see some of the cast in there it'd be kind of exciting to see them play these roles i think yeah all right so if that's all you got um do you have anything to add, Jordan, before I make my ruling? Uh, I'm really glad I'm not the main judge on this yeah. one because uh, I don't have to make a decision. I can just help. Uh, the one thing I do want to be careful with, Joe, is you said you know his might be a different movie with the same title, but that's just to show my consistency here. That's kind of how I felt about your School of Rock pitch. So, but we're um, not talking about School of Rock no more. I didn't say we were. I'm just showing the consistency I'm having as the consulting judge. So um, mm-hmm. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying it's kind of the same thing. Um, oh, man, after hearing what you guys had to say, I, I really am stuck dead in the center on this one. So if I had to flip a coin in the air, I would probably pick Joe's just because it's so similar to the main plot and it is related to the uh, other movie. We do yeah. have a live comment as well. Okay. If you want to read that. Uh, Rick Flair pitch stays true to the original and is more entertaining and a new game on it. Wrestling just as obscure diving too. So I like it as diving. Okay. Yeah. No. And honestly, I was, I was very split down the middle. 
on this one. Um, but the more I thought about it um, and which movie I'd want to see, I feel like I feel like Tristan's would be it would be like a book smart. Like, oh, I, I could really like see myself liking this just kind of, you know, modern take on it. But with Joe's, I just find with Ric Flair, he could be so entertaining in this role. Um, so I think I'm going to give your usage of the rule on that really, like you, you put the right wrestler. If you're going to pick anyone, that's who I want in the role. Um, so I think I'm going to just barely edge it to Joe, but this was right down the middle. Um, I think it just, it did stay a little bit more true to the original movie. Um, but you know, I really did like Tristan's pitch as well, but I think, yeah, Joe's going to take it and it's now tied up. Uh, all right. So Tristan, where are we? Uh, let's do Commando next, and and I'll go first again. All right. All right, Commando. So Commando, surprisingly to me, received a seventy-one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger plays John Matrix, a retired special forces colonel who tries to save his daughter after she is abducted by his former subordinate in order to get him to pull out of a political assassination, pull off, pull off a political assassination. All right. Let's hear your pitch, Tristan. All right. Well, my pitch for Commando was written and directed by Quentin Tarantino because it's building all, all Tarantino characters. It follows an old retired Brad Pitt from Inglorious Bastards. He's living in relative peace and obscurity in a small town. His deeds in World War II were unknown and classified, so people just think he was a simple foot soldier and don't realize how much he did for the war. But one morning, he receives a call that says his friend, his Eli Roth, Berju, was uh, captured by neo-Nazis, and the Nazis have sent hitmen to come and get him. And the hitman left only his name, Mr. White. So the reservoir dogs were hired to hunt down the remaining inglorious bastards. Little did they know that Brad Pitt was prepared. His house is stocked with weapons and equipment and bombs and grenades. And he's ready to hunt down every last one of those motherfuckers to save America. Okay. Well, that sounds fun. Let's hear yours, Joe. All right. So uh, mine is going to be directed by Gareth Evans, who directed The Raid and The Raid 2. Um, my, for my cast, uh, my John Matrix is going to be John Bernthal from The Walking Dead, and he's also the Punisher on, on the Netflix series. My Cindy is uh, Karen Fukuhara, who was in uh, Suicide Squad, and she was also in the Amazon series The Boys. Uh, my Arius, the main villain, is going to be Benicio Del Toro. Uh, my Bennett, uh, one of the other villains, is Joel Edgerton from Warrior. My Sully, another villain, is Caleb Landry Jones from Get Out and uh, Three Billboards. And then my Jenny, John Matrix's daughter, is going to be Daphne Keene from Logan. So for my pitch, former Special Forces Colonel John Matrix, uh, his daughter Jenny, is kidnapped by his former subordinate Bennett. Bennett now works for Arius, a former South American dictator who wants Matrix to carry out a political assassination. If Matrix is successful, he gets his daughter back. Matrix decides he isn't going to do that and sneaks away to kill Arius and all of his men. There is only one problem, and this is where my rule comes in. Because what John Matrix doesn't know is that surrounding Arius's estate is a sea of zombies, like a moat that he will have to carve his way through. My movie is basically John Matrix versus zombies. All right, interesting. Um, yeah, uh, my I have a couple of questions. I'll start with you, Jordan. What are your initial thoughts? Because I know you have to get out of here relatively soon. Yeah. Uh, 
Tristan, so I, I really like the way you started off, and I started thinking immediately, um, how would Tarantino do this? Because one of my favorite things is uh, Joe, Joe will always pitch to me different things. Like um, he knows I'm a big, big Star Trek fan, and he goes, "Hey, what if Tarantino made a Star Trek movie?" Because I think that was like talked about or in the works yeah. at one point. So I love yeah, thinking was. about what Tarantino mm-hmm. could do to, to other movies like this. Um, the thing where it didn't work for me, Tristan, is I think it just became kind of a love fest of all Tarantino movies instead of just including the cast of of a Tarantino film or even a couple of them. Um, so I would worry that I would, I would come... say don't hammer too hard on that rule because I'm not going to have a good time when it comes to my movie. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> true. I and I was going to say kind of the same thing. But um, so that's where we are on that one. Uh, Joe, I do think yours could come off as a little bit more serious and intense and uh, a little more action thriller uh, type uh, uh because Tarantinos can definitely be that way, but they do have a definite air of ridiculousness to them that um, I feel like yours wouldn't necessarily have because it's not Tarantino. So, yeah, yeah um, and uh, so for Tristan, uh, kind of just get at what like I was kind of missing a couple of the factors from the original Commando. So just kind of for you, uh, let me know why why this is a remake of commando instead of just kind of a new tarantino uh, movie you know with all his his characters um and joe are they gonna explain at all why there are zombies is it gonna be hinted at at all or is it just gonna he's just gonna show up and there's zombies yet? i'll let tristan go first i mean yeah unless all right yeah uh i'll go first and say that the fun of commando which makes it an amazing movie is all the fun one-liners and the crazy action and i think uh, Quentin Tarantino is a great guy for a really, really quotable script and also really bombastic and crazy and fun action. And I think Brad Pitt's character in Glorious Bastards in particular would be one that would have a lot of great little funny one-liners and cool things you could say when he's killing people. So I picked him to be the lead. And I think Tarantino, if, he's get, if he loves anything, it's himself. <laughs> so I think he would come back and make a movie that's just a big tribute to himself. And even if it's like his finale, you know, he was saying he wants to do a Kill Bill 3. Well, how about a Kill Bill style movie, but it's Brad Pitt going down and hunting down the Reservoir Dogs, and it's this big crossover look that's to Tarantino for his last movie. I think that would be a fun, fun finale. All right, and for me, I would say like they can hint like that there are zombies in this world, but it's like the references maybe in like a news like article or you know uh, John Matrix is like watching television or something in the beginning of the movie. And there's reference that there are zombies, but he doesn't necessarily realize, Oh, this guy has zombies surrounding his entire estate that I'm going to have to, you know, cut my way through and figure my way out through this. Okay. Um, yeah, just fight it out. I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say. Yeah, I think, yeah, I like your movie. I just don't know because like one of the driving factors of Commando is like him trying to get his daughter and his like friend Cindy that I find like during the movie back. Where I don't know if without that driving motivation of like him, you know, trying to rescue his daughter from a drug lord or whatever the what Arius is. I don't know if it's necessarily going to feel like Commando, and if they just slap the title Commando on this movie of uh, uh, Lieutenant Aldo Rain mowing through reservoir dogs i don't know if that's gonna feel like commando is my only thing well he hid the bear the other bastards have been kidnapped by the by the reservoir dogs so you have that family element like like in the movie they were very connected and very much a family so i think seeing him rescue his brothers in arms years later and have that family be reunited would be a good drive for that people have a built-in connection to the bastards so i think seeing that family unite again would be something people would want to see 
All right, I guess that makes sense then if, if there are like kidnappings. All right, do you guys have anything else you want to hit on before I uh, toss no, I over think, to Jordan's thoughts? No, I think I said what I need to say. I think mine does capture the original movie a little bit better than Taylor's does, to be honest. I think mowing through a huge crowd of zombies is a similar thing where it's like you just put Commando on this and now it's a zombie action movie. But I think mine takes that core idea of like, oh, here's a retired, he retired like super soldier, essentially, who's trying to reunite with his, his family by taking down these super trained hitmen. And I think, he, sure, he changed out the characters for Tarantino characters, but I do think that the core story is definitely still there. Yeah, for mine, I mean, there's still he still has to take out Bennett. He still has to take out Sully. He still has to take out Arius. It's just in that time, there are also zombies. He has to, you know, find his way through. It's not just only purely killing zombies. All right. Uh, Jordan, do you have any, your initial thoughts and who, who are you leaning towards right now? I think I kind of know what I'm feeling, but uh, curious I think Kristen successfully defended his pitch on this one to me. Uh, he brought me around to see that uh, I think it would actually be really interesting to bring it around this way. And, and the final product would be something I'd be really interested in a curious manner to, to see what it would turn out to be. Uh, whereas Joe's, um, it's not bad by any means. Uh, I just think I would lean towards Tristan's in this sense. Yeah, and that's what I, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking because Joe, we like we just saw, and I know you weren't. I don't think you were a big fan of the movie, but we just saw Overlord come out not too yeah. long ago, which is another yeah. war movie with zombies. Um, I feel yeah, like I liked is, it more than Johnny did. Yeah, I was gonna say I haven't seen it. I heard it's good. Johnny hated it, but I don't always trust his opinion on certain types of movies. Um, so uh, yeah, so I thought it'd be really similar to that. But I do love that it's Gareth Evans and then John Bernthal is great. Uh, I really did like your cast. But the more I thought about it, I would love because Inglorious Bastards is one of my favorite. It is my favorite Tarantino movie, and I love Aldo Rain. So just to ch- the chance to see him come back. Um, I was initially leaning towards Joe because I didn't think it sounded like Commando. But as Jordan said, you did defend that. And him trying to go after and save the rest of the bastards, I think that is enough of it that you can call it Commando. It's just Tarantino's Commando. Um, and that could work. And that just sounds like such a fun movie that I'm going to give it to to Tristan. All right. Uh, and Jordan, I think uh, you said you got to get out of here. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Had a good time. Uh, next time I'll stay longer, I promise. And thanks for letting me on again. Good luck. Thanks for helping out. Yeah. You guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, so we have a three to two, Tristan, and this is this has been a close battle. Um, so, Joe, where do you want to go next? Uh, I think I'm going to go with uh, John Wick next. John Wick from one action movie to another here. Um, so John, well, who's going first on this one? Uh, I'll go first. I'll go first. Okay. Uh, so John Wick came out in 2014, has an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is too low. Um, it, John, IMDb describes it as an ex-hitman comes out of retirement to track down the gangsters that killed his dog and took everything from him. It's a very simple premise. Uh, he's the Baba Yaga. So uh, let's hear your pitches. All right, so uh, my director and writer is Quentin Tarantino because the wow. rule I'm using is I'm casting this with all Quentin Tarantino characters. Okay. Uh, figure while you're in a pro Tarantino movie, I might or mood, I might as well get this movie out of the way. So my John Wick, the character is going to be Jules Winfield, Samuel L. Jackson's character from Pulp Fiction. 
Uh, the Vigo Terrace soft role is now going to be Marcellus Wallace, Fingerings character, also from Pulp Fiction. My ESOF Terrasoft role is now going to be uh, Bruce Willis's character Butch from Pulp Fiction. And then uh, Marcus, uh, Willem Dafoe's character, is going to be Mr. White, Harvey Keitel's character from Reservoir Dogs. Aurelio, John Leguizamo's character, is going to be st- Stuntman Mike, Kurt Russell's character from Death Proof. Uh, Winston, kind of the leader of the whole organization, uh, is going to be uh, Vincenzo Cacati, Christopher Walken's character from True Romance. Uh, the hotel manager, uh, originally played by Lance Reddick, is now going to be Minnie Mink, who is uh, Dana Courier's character. She ran the haberdashery in The Hateful Eight. And okay. so for my pitch, uh, six years after the events of Pulp Fiction, Jules Winfield has left behind the life of being a hitman to be a preacher. His young wife dies, leaving behind a dog. When a punch-drunk retired boxer, Butch, who feels disrespected by him, attacks Jules and kills his dog, Jules returns to his old life for one reason. Revenge, motherfucker. And that okay. is my pitch. for. Okay, so you, have, so you have Jules uh, going after uh, Bruce Willis, Butch, right? That's the main... Did I get that right? Yeah, Bruce Willis. He's going after... I mean, Butch is like playing the kid, so he, you know, he kills yeah. Butch, and then he eventually has to go after, because uh, but at the end of Pulp Fiction, Butch and uh, Marcellus Wallace go from being enemies yeah. to allies. So now it's like six years later, and they're really close friends. So instead of a father son dynamic, because there really isn't a father and son in any of the Tarantino movies, I just made it like kind of like a head of a friend group and like his other like dumb friend. Okay, got it. Just want to make sure I, I caught that right. Uh, let's hear your pitch, Justin. All right. Well, my pitch for John Wick, uh, it follows a character like Fiona Reeves, whose wife is kidnapped by Bowser because all the characters are from video games. Fiona Reeves plays a character from Cyberpunk. Jason Statham plays the agent from Hitman. Nathan Fillion shows up as Nathan Drake. Adam Driver shows up voicing Master Chief. You follow pretty much a similar structure. You'd have Keanu Reeves' character trying to hunt down and kill uh, the guys who were responsible for his wife's death. But instead of random hitmen who killed his dog, it would be video game characters. So he's going through and he's killing, you know, the agent from Hitman. He's killing Bowser. He's, he's, he's having to use his skills as an assassin against actual video game enemies. I think you could take the action of John Wick and up the ante, like totally insane levels, you know, people with rocket launchers and driving warthogs from Halo, and you could make the action really intensely big, and I think if you bring back the same writer and director from the original, they'd be able to make that really gritty and exciting with, with still having the scale of a video game action scene. And John Wick's practically a video game already. He's got badass and sleek and so cool action. And everyone feels kind of cool and badass. Imagine that hotel. You go to the hotel and it's filled with nothing but characters from different video games, kind of the shady villains or the side heroes, the anti-heroes, some video games all sitting in this hotel doing deals together. I think that could be really fun. Almost like a video game movies are kind of big now. You can fill it up with, with all kinds of characters and people would love to see it. Okay, so that that sounds like John Wick on acid to me, uh, which does sound interesting. So, um, yeah, I really don't have that many questions. Just um, uh, fight it out and hit any more points on your your own movies, um, and uh, then I'll get to to what I'm thinking. 
My big knock against Tristan is that recasting Keanu Reeves in the same role is that going to feel like redundant and it's not going to feel like obviously putting you put a bunch of video game characters and that's going to somewhat make it feel new. But you have Keanu Reeves and based on like the trailer for Cyberpunk 2077 or whatever it's called. He looks like Keanu Reeves. He doesn't look like a, a different person. So I feel like putting Keanu Reeves back in that lead role is just going to feel redundant. And like, why isn't he just making John Wick 4 instead of a reboot of John Wick starring a movie he made six years ago that was good that people liked? Well, who wants to see John Wick without Keanu Reeves? So I think if you're going to have a chance to remake it, you might as well bring back the badass man himself, Keanu Reeves, especially Everyone loved him and his appearance in Cyberpunk. When he came out on stage at E3, the whole crowd erupted. You got that your breath, your breathtaking line that's like a full meme now. I think people are just hyped to see Keanu Reeves in anything, no matter who he's playing. And I think being able to merge the hype of, of Cyberpunk with John Wick and put it on this crazy level, like you said, John Wick on acid, it's just kind of like this high stakes, high anti crazy action. You still get the heart of the wife and you still get character you want to root for but you're seeing it in this crazy huge scale video game action world yeah i I get that it's just why have keanu reeves when you can have samuel l jackson as jules winfield back as you know coming back into the fold killing people are you really gonna buy samuel l jackson doing all that sleek and slick action now he's not exactly in his prime anymore he's always in his prime I mean, this was using the cast of a Tarantino movie, so I feel like it doesn't necessarily have to be 2020 uh, Samuel L. Jackson. It can be like 1994 Samuel L. Jackson when he was in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, so that's my question for you, Joe. What type of action do you have in, in your movie? Because um, John Wick's I mean, kind of bombastic with like the gun. I food. mean, I feel like it's still similar to like the original John Wick style action. It's more just Samuel L. Jackson. And like that type of character where he's like preaching at people throughout the movie where John Wick was more silent throughout the movie. And he would just kind of carve through like you have that club scene where he's carving. You, you'd you have, you know, Jules Winfield, who's like a very biblical person, very like into religion, like preaching at people as he kills them. One thing I can say against your movie is that I think his entire character arc in Pulp Fiction is that he realizes at the end that he's putting away violence. Like he says, he's really trying. He's trying to turn over a new leaf. He's trying to do something better with his life. He gives that whole speech at the end. And when they're getting robbed and he says, oh, I'm really trying. I'm really trying. And I think if you bring him back for the sequel years later and say he's back to killing people again, you almost invalidate his entire arc of full fiction. And I think that's a great character arc. And I wouldn't want to see that be belittled just for a sequel. But I mean, it would make sense if it's a few years later, his wife's dead. He watched his dog get like stomped to death in front of him. You're like, fuck it. Fuck that character arc. I want to see Samuel L. Jackson kill some people because that dog was cute. All right. So um, unless you guys have any other major points to make, yeah. I think I know where you're going. Yeah, I don't. Uh, we do have a live comment, though. All right. What do we got? Samuel L. Jackson is always in his prime. That's true. I don't think he ages. Um, at least uh, he he can play. The, I think he can play the same role for years. Um, if you see Hitman's bodyguard, he definitely was not in his prime for that one. Yeah, that's true. But you know what? That, at least at least he's a, he can banter with Ryan Reynolds in that one. But you know, this one, I, I think I was waiting to see if Joe would bring it up in one of, in his arguments because my first thing that I underlined for Tristan's pitch was. Keanu Reeves and same directors. And 
it's even though it's in this video game crazy world, I think it would be too similar to the original. Um, so like people would, would not understand why they're, they're going in that direction. Just recast it and have like a crazy, you know, video game movie. Uh, like even if you put, you know, a mortal Kombat character in the John wick role or, or link from Zelda, something, something weird, something crazy. Um, I, I would have probably liked your movie a little, little better. Um, and I just think Joe's, I also really like the idea that Jules is going after Butch who killed his, his partner, Vincent Vega in the first one. Um, and you know, it's kind of, he's coming out of retirement kind of deal, kind of like John wick. So I think that fits. Um, and I just really love, uh, I, I really like the idea of, uh, getting back to these characters and a revenge story with these guys. I just think it, it worked better for me than just Keanu coming back to play John wick. So I'm going to give it to Joe. All right, yeah, and that was the only point against Tristan's I had. As soon as he started talking, I'm like, I might be screwed here because that actually sounds kind of awesome. It, it did sound like an awesome movie, and I probably would have given it to you if it if you didn't use the cheat to get his exact character from from uh, Cyberpunk in there. Um, but uh, yeah, oh, I think those were both really fun pitches. They're really good, and this has been a really close match. Yeah, all right. So Tristan, where we go? Where are we going next? Let's go with Misery. Oh, good, I was right there. So, okay, uh, I'll go first on this one. All right, All right. Misery from 1990 has a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, um, and it's described as after a famous author is rescued from a car crash by a fan of his novels, he comes to realize that the care he is receiving is only the beginning of a nightmare of captivity and abuse. Uh, it's based on a Stephen King book, and it's a really good movie. So let's uh, let's hear your pitches. All right, my my misery is a zombie movie. It was written and directed by Jordan Peele. It stars uh, Yaha Abdul Medin as Paul Sheldon, who was Doctor Manhattan in the in the newest Watchmen adaptation. Spoiler alert! And uh, my Annie is played by Cameron Diaz. And there's also two cops that are on their trail. One is by one is played by Lil Rel Howery from uh, Get Out. He played the TSA agent. And the other is Vanessa Estelle Williams, who's in the upcoming Candyman uh, remake that he's that Jordan Peele is producing. So I wanted to make this first in the commentary on on internet culture and the obsessive internet culture that we've seen pop up after like Game of Thrones and Last Jedi, like very divisive kind of potential failures that really in, inflame the community into being angry and thinking that their way is the best way. And I had Paul Sheldon be a franchise film writer and director. He's working on the long-awaited finale, the long-awaited finale to his franchise called Gar- Galaxy Attack. It's a massive space epic. However, he super fails to deliver. The finale of his saga is a really divisive and terrible dud. And after that, due to the intense stress and the fan backlash and this having his career fall apart just because of this one movie, he suffers a heart attack and dies. But that's not good enough for Annie Wilkes. She is an obsessive YouTube fan who makes fan theory videos every single day, railing on about her ideas are the best ideas and the only good ideas, and that if they just followed her ideas, then they would have a perfect franchise. She takes it upon herself with the help of YouTube videos and social media to learn how to revive a dead body through a demonic pagan ritual. She tracks down Paul Sheldon's body to his family plot, she brings his body back to life and drags it into the family home. She uses her newfound YouTube skills as a pagan ritualist to revive him, but he comes back as a half-man, half-zombie, 
barely alive shell of his former self. He's partly mindless, but his, his personality is still there and he's returned from the dead. And she insists that Paul repays her kindness by rewriting the finale into exactly what she thinks it should be. Paul is undead, so he's incapable of death, but he can be tortured and feel pain. So she's using that to her advantage. She's torturing if, she, if he does any plot point she doesn't like. And meanwhile, she's tweeting out pictures of it and her famous, her favorite lines from the new screenplay on social media, putting it on YouTube videos and saying, oh, look, I'm making the new Galaxy uh, Wars movie. So Zombie Sheldon, he creates this nostalgic trash piece that's purposefully writing awful dialogue that she wants and is filled with one-liners and nothing but callback quotes and fan service. But that's exactly what she wants to be. He's playing along with her, pretending that she's a great caregiver and even better writer than he is. And after he presents her the final script, she's delighted because it's filled with nothing but nostalgia for what she loved as a kid. And then she starts mentioning how they're going to write a sequel. And that's what sets Paul over the edge. She says, I did this for you. You have to let me go. And she says, well, if you don't write the sequel, I'll put you back on the ground and write it myself. And meanwhile, there's these two cops that are following them down. They're tracking her YouTube videos, tracking her social media posts, trying to figure out where they're at and whether or not it's real and legit, whether or not she's just pranking for the internet for, for followers and for fame. And near the end, Paul smashes the computer and throws her notes in the fire and tries to escape. And flaming paper flies out of the fire and starts setting the cabin ablaze. So the cops pull up right when the cabin is on fire and they find Annie in there, burnt up but still alive. And Paul is nowhere to be found. So they do find the computer and recover the files and the cops are interrogating Annie and trying to ask her what happened. And she's saying, Oh, I revived Paul Sheldon with, with magic that I found on YouTube. And they, and they, no one believes her. They tell her she's just lying. And the internet becomes convinced that she faked all of these videos and all these posts and turns against her. And she becomes, you know, uh, just like Paul Sheldon was, she's off cast from the internet and hated by her fandom. And no one believes that she really raised Paul Sheldon from the dead. So the last scenes show her locked up in an insane asylum, still looking at her Twitter feed and still arguing with people on Twitter. And then we cut to Paul Sheldon, zombified Paul Sheldon in the disguise, going to a movie theater, ready to see the next Galaxy Battle movie. All right. Interesting pitch. Um, I really do like the commentary on that, but I'll, I have a few questions. Uh, Joe, let's hear yours. All right, so for my misery, my director is Drew Pierce, who directed Hotel Artemis, because that's the rule I'm using, is my cast is the cast of Hotel Artemis. But I did change things up. Instead of Annie Wilkes, I have Anthony Wilkes, played by Charlie Day. Instead of Paul Sheldon, I have Paula Sheldon, going to be played by uh, Jodie Foster. And my Sheriff Buster is Sterling K. Brown, and the waiter at the end of my movie is going to be played by Zachary Quinto. So my movie is very similar to the first, but obviously the main character's genders are flipped. Uh, The opening scene is Dr. Anthony Wilkes, unhappy with the ending of his favorite film franchise about action hero John Misery, played by Dave Bautista, who was killed by a villain played by Jeff Goldblum. Uh, Anthony kidnaps the film's writer, Paula, uh, who he claims to be the biggest fan of and forces her to write a new ending. After weird occurrences, Anthony is visited by local Sheriff Buster. When uh, Sheriff Buster discovers what is going on, Anthony kills the sheriff and threatens Paula. Paula uses this moment to attack and kill Anthony and escape. A few months later, Paula's agent asks her to write a movie about her experience. 
she refuses. She thinks she sees Anthony, but it was a hallucination and it was just a and it was just the waiter. The waiter approaches Paula and says he is her biggest fan. Uh, my movie overall is a commentary on modern movie fandom, and it goes after the people who take pride in harassing celebrities so badly on social media that they leave social media. And that's okay. my pitch for uh, Misery. All right. Um, so I have a, just a question for each of you. So for Tristan, I'll start with you. Um, so your movie, when he comes back, he doesn't really sound that much like a zombie to me. Can you kind of go into how, other than just being undead, like, you know, it, it, it sounds like he's more just a human that's been resurrected at that point. Yeah, I mean, I, I went for the resurrection angle, but I do think it's a zombie because he's sort of brainless. He doesn't really have his full personality. He's just sort of like a baby. And her fandom of him is like what kind of he based his personality on. So he sort of becomes like this fandom shill that just is what she thinks she wants. And then by the end, he turns against her. And I think I think that's what I use a rule for. Okay. And then so for Joe, um, Kathy Bates in the first one is pretty pretty sinister and gives a really great performance. Do you, th- uh, do you think Charlie Day, is, is he going to be similar to that character? Or is yeah, he he's a- not going to be like similar. To, he's going to be more like that and less like his character on Always Sunny. Okay, so he, like he's, he's going to be like creepy and weird. And like a crazy fanboy. Okay, I can see that. Um, all right, so that's kind of all I had. Just um, go into your movies and uh, fight it out. I'll say that I don't think people would take Charlie Day very seriously as a threat. We know him too well for his personality that he has, and he, he always plays a similar sort of personality, and I think we'd see that in him the whole time. And anytime he tried to be threatening and scary, he'd kind of just come off as something that Charlie would say, it's always sunny, and make everyone laugh. I disagree because I think in Hotel Artemis he plays like a good villain and you're he's a threatening villain. He's not like this big, tall, muscular guy, but if he's out there and he's like and you could see there's like a under undertone of craziness in him, you're gonna be scared for him. You're gonna be you know, when the writer is like tied up and can't move, you know, you're gonna fear for her life in that moment. Even if you do think, Oh, this guy's like because that's what he does. He plays crazy people well. And if he plays more of like that lower toned down version of crazy and not so like over the top, like basically on cocaine version of crazy, you know, it'll still work. I went with Cameron Diaz based a lot on her performance in being John Malkovich, where you see her get really gritty and very weird and kind of crazy. And I think that shows that she can break type. And I think seeing that kind of sunny blonde woman break type and be, be threatening would be kind of the appeal. Like you, you'd see someone who's, seems relatively normal in the real world, but on the inside they have this crazy, like the internet has drained their empathy for other people. And they just see this, this black man as someone who serves their, their needs and their fandoms needs. And I think it would work well with that cast. I think Jordan Peele is a good fit as well, because he does know how to ingrain social commentary into all his movies, whether it's as subtle, whether it's really blatant and obvious, he knows how to balance that. And I think, what made Misery such an interesting book and movie originally was that it was a commentary on Stephen King's uh, struggle with cocaine and struggle with living up to span expectations and feeling like he has to turn out these books all the time. And I think that is very relevant to today when you've seen how the fandom culture has reacted to movies that are divisive and movies they don't personally enjoy. And I think that would be interesting to comment on. 
Yeah, I think uh, the commentary, I think you're both hitting on kind of the same thing. So I don't really need to hear too much on that. But um, what I do want to ask is uh, one of the most most famous scenes in Misery is when she uh, um, she breaks, you know, his legs there. And it is kind of this gruesome scene to keep him there. Do you have anything similar to that in your movie? Um, Some kind of shocking moment like that? Yeah, I mean, I was kind of just think planning on keeping that scene the way it is of just like hobbling her legs like that. I wasn't thinking of doing anything different. I think since the zombie movie, I was going to have her totally chop off his legs because since he can take any amount of damage to his body, as long as it's not to the brain, he can still live. And I think use the advantage of the zombie rule by saying she totally cuts his legs off and now he's trying to hop around on stubs. Okay. Um, all right. So this is interesting. Uh, do you guys have anything else to add or, um, you know, as a last second yeah. kind of, pitch, but yeah, the only like negative, I guess other negative I have against his, but you brought it up early. It's just, I don't know if he like fully utilized his rule. Cause I feel like he's still kind of just, I don't know if he's a full on zombie, if it's like, or if it's just kind of like he was resurrected and it just didn't go great. Well, people play with the zombie definition all the time. You know, the Walking Dead zombies compared to 28 Days Later zombies compared to World War Z zombies, they're all very different takes. Night of Living Dead zombies are not very similar. They kind of use the resurrection trope, like Night of Living Dead had zombies coming out of the graveyard and just walking around. Walking Dead has them. Anyone who dies becomes a zombie. World War Z, they're high speed, like supercharged, infected, and I would still call them all zombies. They use the, the core premise of someone who is dead being resurrected and becoming a mindless body after that. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. But so, so to me, even with that, and I know there's a lot of different kinds of zombies, I think what's really just hanging me up is that it just seems like he seems more like a, like a Frankenstein's monster, like some, some different type of creature to me. Um, because he still needs to write the book. And at the end, he's he's aware enough to say, let me go. He's doing some things on purpose, just, you know, like that. He has some type of awareness that I feel like it wouldn't feel quite like a zombie movie. Um, I, I don't l- necessarily love just kind of doing the exact same thing, which is Joe, what Joe did. But I do. But I think I really like your cast. I think I can picture Charlie Day as an obsessed fanboy. Um, I think that works really well. Uh, he wouldn't necessarily be the exact same thing as the first one, but I think he would play something that can be more relevant to what people, you know, yell at everyone on Twitter and what someone like that would be like. Um, so I just kind of really liked that. Uh, and the zombie part really did hang me up for that for Tristan. So I'm going to give it to Joe and give him his first lead of the night. Nice. This has been a crazy back and forth. Yeah. Um, so Tristan, let us know where you want to go next. We're getting down uh, to the here. Getting down to. Let's go with uh, Howard the Duck. All right. Yeah. Nice. That's where I was planning on going to if I lost. So. All right. This this should be interesting. This is a crazy, ridiculous movie. Um, so Howard the Duck is from 1986. It received a 15 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, according to IMDb, Howard the Duck is a, about a sarcastic humanoid duck who is pulled from his homeworld to Earth where he must stop a hellish alien invasion with the help of a nerdy scientist and a cute, struggling female rock singer who fancies him. Um, so who is going to go first on this one? I'll go first. Okay, let's hear it. My Howard the Duck is set in the X-Men universe. 
It's written and directed by Taika Waititi. It stars Will Arnett as Howard the Duck. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool. Wolverine is played by John Bernthal. Dr. Trask is played by Nick Offerman. Magneto is Giancarlo Esposito. And Professor X is uh, Mark Strong. And in the Howard and the Duck comics, it's usually these sort of like surrealist parodies of pop culture, consumerism, and things like that. And I think I would lean into that by having Nick Offerman playing Dr. Trask, who was in the in the uh, Days of Future Past storyline. But in this version, he's sort of like a Bezos-like business leader who creates these robots that will remove the need for the human workforce and all of society. And he promises that as like a paradise. But in the background, it, it's it, the whole plot. It's sort of a heist movie. It's Howard the Duck and Deadpool who are breaking in to... Trask's offices to try and steal his technology for a competitor. And the kind of joke of the movie in the background would be that all of these X-Men characters are showing up because Days of Future Past is happening simultaneously, but it's way in the background. There's only a couple of scenes that show up and it's like Ryan Reynolds, uh, Deadpool and Howard the Duck don't even realize what's happening. It's sort of like this B plot in the far background is that this famous huge comic book storyline is happening and they're not even aware of it. I think it's sort of inspired by like the Phineas and Ferb Star Wars movie or something like that, where they they're back there or back to the future part two, where something is the iconic original story is happening, but our main characters are just sort of on the sideline of that story, doing their own storyline. All right. I I really like that pitch. Um, uh, It sounds like a lot of fun to me. Uh, Joe, let's hear where yours is, where yours goes. All right, so uh, my director is uh, going to be Seth Green from basically Robot Chicken. Is mainly like where his creative, creatively is known for. He's also like the voice on Family Guy. He was in uh, the uh, Austin Powers movies as well. But so playing Howard the Duck as he does in the MCU, because my movie is mainly going to be set in the MCU. Well, fully going to be set in the MCU. Is Seth Green as Howard the Duck? My Beverly Switzler. It's going to be Zoe Deutsch, who was in Zombieland 2, and I cast her. And then after I cast her, I realized her mom played the same role in the original 1986 <laughs> version. So I'm like, oh, this is perfect. Like, why would I cast anyone else? Uh, and my, I'm going to have uh, the character of Kong Lomerant. In this movie, he's basically like a giant like gorilla ape who's sentient. And, uh, is, and, but he's going to be voiced by Brad Garrett uh, from Everybody Loves Raymond. And so the opening scene of my movie is Howard running from a bookie on his home planet of Duck World. He ducks into a tunnel and falls into a portal. He exits the portal into a dark tunnel, and this is where my rule comes into play, because I am using the rule of including a character made famous by Angelina Jolie, and I, too, chose Lara Croft. In the tunnel, Howard and Lara run into each other, knocking each other over. Lara is confused, but too busy running from a bunch of goons in a tomb to care. The two get away, and Lara takes him to New York City circa 2003. Howard lays low for a while, and the overall plot of my movie is very similar to Forrest Gump, but it's more of a romantic comedy between Howard and Beverly, with them popping into the background of MCU movies. We see him meet Beverly outside the Stark charity event that's in the first Iron Man. He gets knocked out by a rampaging Hulk during the first Avengers. Uh, Beverly and Howard are on a date in DC when they see Cap and Falcon run laps around the reflecting pool during the beginning of Winter Soldier. 
Howard unsuccessfully tries to find a way back to Duckworld to show Beverly where he is from, so he goes to space and visits the Collector uh, during the post credit scene of Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, they get married and are on their honeymoon in Europe when they get locked into the German airport during uh, Captain America Civil War. Uh, Beverly is kidnapped by Howard, the Duck's arch-nemesis uh, conglomerate, and taken to Southern California. Howard goes to rescue her, and he finds himself in the middle of the fight against Thanos in Endgame. So his big Endgame cameo, he's not even there to fight Thanos. He's there because he's looking to rescue his girlfriend. And I said, Howard the Duck is a background character who got his own comic, which is why I'd reveal he's been in the background of the entire MCU. He's also known for his commentary on modern society, like Tristan said, and I would change that up a little bit to make his movie more of a commentary on the MCU. It would be a satire in the style of Young Frankenstein, where it's like making fun of the movie that came before it, but it's not like self-referential like a Deadpool is, where they like point out the fact that they're in a movie. Uh, in a scene where they need a disguise, they get a baseball cap and sunglasses and comment how that always works. Uh, the main villain, Kong Lamaret, a giant sentient gorilla who is obsessed with Beverly, is from a gorilla world and entered through a portal very similar to Howard, which is a commentary on how like the main villain in the first movie is always basically identical to the hero, but just you know slightly different. And so, yeah, that's my pitch for uh, Howard the Duck reboot. All right, so I... I like both of those a lot. Um, I have a couple more like things I would say judgment wise, but uh, I'll save that to see if you guys pick it up in, in your arguments. Um, I don't really have any questions on them. Uh, so just kind of fight it out and uh, maybe elaborate on some more of your movie. I think Howard the Duck and Deadpool would have instant chemistry together. And I think both of them being these sort of absurdist characters that exist like on the fringes of their, of their comic book worlds and gives them an opportunity to comment on the, the stakes of the universe, comment on what's going on in in the genre, but not be so direct like yours is. And I think focusing on a high story gives it sort of a through line that's not even connected to comic book storylines. It's just this, they're on this heist, and it happens to be in the X-Men universe, and there happens to be this big storyline going on right next to them. And I think that would be it would be interesting. I would love to see Taika Waititi's take on that, the banter between the two of the characters and the sort of absurd scenes you come up with of them sneaking around behind guards or sneaking around behind the X-Men as something is happening in the background. And I think Taika has worked in the MCU before, and he's shown that he can take uh, an MCU character and make it ridiculous and make it funny and still have it kind of fit within the world of the MCU. And I think you could do that to the X-Men as well. Yeah, my my thing against Tristan's is basically like number one, I feel like putting Howard the Duck in already a Marvel character and like having using the rule of setting it in the world of X Men is like oh like not the best use of the rule because I feel like you could have done that anyways and like not made that your rule. It's like what I did, it's I use Lara Croft and I set it in the MCU because we already have Howard the Duck in the MCU, and like you're talking about how you in the background of your movie is like one of the better. X-Men storylines with Days of Future Past and I agree and that's why I did that but I did it like bigger and I put Howard the Duck in the background of his movie is the entire MCU basically from beginning to end at this point of at least the movies we have of Iron Man through Endgame. Yeah actually with Joe one thing I, I do actually have a question on is um, so what does Lara Croft being in the movie do to add to it? Um, She's the one that She's the one that initially finds him. She's the one that 
like brings him to New York City for the first time instead of like whatever random tomb he happens to find himself in that the portal leads to. And she's kind of that initial like human that he meets. Okay. So just kind I'm of confused about the timeline of your movie. Uh, if he's showing up in Winter Soldier, he's showing up in Iron Man, and he's showing up in Endgame. How does that all? How can that? Because it's take like place a because the whole movie it's like a Forrest Gump in a way, of like Forrest Gump takes place over like twenty years, and so my movie it's a whole like romantic comedy of him and Beverly getting together, their marriage, and their whole story. They go. We start from like essentially them meeting on their first date to like a point when they're going on their honeymoon. So it takes place over like the course of a few years, and it's there. You know, it's a romantic comedy of their love story set in the backdrop of the MCU. Okay. Um, anything else you guys want to add? No, I feel like I've, you know, said what I had to say against his movie. Okay. Tristan, anything? I'm good. Yeah, so... So I, this was interesting for me because they're, they're very similar pitches, um, even though, even with different rules. Um, when it comes to the use of the rule, I know, Joe, you brought up that you didn't think Tristan's just putting it in the X-Men universe was using it well. But um, we, we have not seen Marvel actually cross over with X-Men yet. I know Disney did buy Fox now, but it's been this very separate thing. Uh, so I feel like that is a good way. It's like a, to me, it just felt like a fun way to introduce it in the, in the Marvel universe with the X-Men since it has not happened yet. Um, and I love the matching, the pairing of Howard the Duck and Deadpool. I think their comedy works really well together. Uh, Joe's, I really did like that you're going through all the Marvel movies um, in the background, but the problem to me is that they kind of just did that with Endgame. Um, I know it would be a different tone and yours would be more parodying it, but it felt a little too, close to that big epic you know highest gro- grossing movie of, of all time to kind of redo that trope um and Lara Croft to me well I understand the rule and it's just kind of including her um I just felt like you putting Howard the Duck in the X-Men universe with you know the big uh to me one of the best X-Men movies made in the background I think that fit a little better to me so I'm going to give it to Tristan uh, and he's going to tie it up going into the last movie well, even as the last movie, that. and am I confident in this? Uh, oh, I don't think Citizen Kane. Eh, why not end on one of the greatest supposed yeah. movies of all time? And, I think um, up to that level, but I'll try my best. Mine definitely will not be, and I'm not confident going into this final round. And this is definitely our shortest episode of all time. Oh, yeah, it's been pretty quick. Your arguments have been pretty short, and uh, yeah. you know we've had a couple of longer pitches, but they've been to the point today. Um, All right. yeah. are, are you keeping track? Do you not have any idea what rules we have left? Um, I've been trying to not really look. I think I know, <laughs> I think I know at least one of them, uh, but I'm going to try to leave it to what you tell me here, but this should be interesting. Uh, uh, I, I think I realize what his rule is. Um, I'll go first. Okay. If- yeah. Um, all right, so Citizen Kane from 1941 has uh, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, um, and it's described as, Following the death of publishing tycoon Charles Foster Kane, reporters scramble to uncover the meaning of his final utterance, Rosebud. The quasi-biographical film examines the life and legacy of Kane, played by Orson Welles, a composite character based in part upon American media barons uh, William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer, uh, Chicago tycoons 
Samuel Tycoon Samuel Insull and Harold McCormick, as well as aspects of the screenwriter's own lives. Uh, it's known to be one of the greatest movies ever ever made um, and, and inspired um, modern filmmaking. So let's hear your pitches. Joe, I think you said you want to go first. Let's yeah. So my director is Chris McKay, who did the Lego Batman movie. And so kind of filling in the role of Charles Foster Kane is the role is the character video game character of Mario, because that's the rule I used is I'm casting this with all video game characters. Filling in the role of Jedediah Leland, his friend, I'm going to change that up to his brother, Luigi. Uh, his you know former wives are going to be Princess Peach and Rosalina. And his kind of main antagonist person that he was a rival with his entire life, instead of James W. Gettys, is going to be Wario. We also get appearances by Donkey Kong and Bowser. And basically the plot of my movie is when Dario... When, when Mario dies after a long and successful life, a journalist decides to interview his family, friends, and enemies to see if he can decipher the meaning of Mario's last word, Yoshi. Throughout the movie, no one knows what the words mean, not even his baby brother Luigi. However, we learn a lot about Mario and his adventures, including his successes and failures, even his uh, time as a doctor, as a race car driver, and even as a hand-to-hand combat fighter. Uh, the movie ends when we see a collar being burned along with Mario's other belongings. The collar was seen earlier when a young child Mario, before the weight of Mushroom Kingdom was on his shoulders, was playing with his pet di- dinosaur. The collar reads Yoshi. And that's Her. the pitch of my uh, version of Citizen Kane. Mario, C- Citizen Mario. Basically, uh, yeah. Uh, Tristan, let's hear yours. All right. Well, if anyone can take on the mantle of directing Citizen Kane again, of all people, it's going to be Martin Scorsese. He captures massive, epic, long-running storylines really well. And I had the writer Stephen Zalian come back. He wrote uh, he wrote The Irishman with him, so I think they would both have a good skill of telling a long-running single-person's narrative. And the rule that I used was time travel movie. So we, in this story, we'll follow the the. Uh, Rise of a media tech pioneer, Charles Foster Kane. And like you said, the original was this direct parody, or not parody, the direct commentary on these specific people. So I did sort of a Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk hybrid for this character, where he's sort of a tech billionaire who advances technology really far, but he's also cold and socially distant and doesn't have like as much of a political moral. Like Mark Zuckerberg is kind of just this amoral guy, especially in social network. You see that in his personality. And they'll explore it through the eyes of Jerry Thompson. So my cast here is Charles Foster Kane, who's played by Robert De Niro. They age him up and down with makeup and CGI. They have the stock footage. Might as well use it again. Uh, Vera Famiga plays Susan Alexander Kane, his wife, and who becomes his lover, or his his lover who becomes his wife, his second wife. Jerry Thompson, who's the obsessive reporter, is played by Leonardo DiCaprio. And Charles Foster Kane's business rival is played by John Goodman. It's a time travel movie because Charles Foster Kane's last word is a rosebud, and Leonardo DiCaprio is is hired on to figure out what that means. So he got and Charles Foster Kane had been hidden up in his house, his massive mansion for years and years and years before he died. So Leo is one of the first people to come into it after he's died and discovers that he was working on Project Rosebud, which is a time machine that let him go back and visit moments in, in his past. So he uses Charles Foster Kane's time machine to go back and visit these different moments across Charles Foster Kane's life to try and uncover 
what it was that drove him, what it was that made him this ruthless tech engineer, this isolated tech leader, what happened along the way, and was he once this wide-eyed kid on a sled, what turned him into this isolated billionaire who doesn't even have any friends or family around him. And he eventually, uh, we, we have a similar ending where the, he comes out of the time machine and decides no one can no one can know about this. So he blows up a time machine and burns down the house. And our, one of our last shots is that we see the rosebud sled burning. And the theme would be that Charles Foster Kane was trying to use the time machine to get back to his youth and recapture his youth, but ultimately he never could, and he still died. All right, interesting. Um, very different movies for sure. We got no, they're the same thing. They're both Citizen Kane. It's the same movie. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, the one question I was going to ask both of you, and you both put it in your pitch, is uh, that last word being Rosebud or Yoshi and what that means. Um, so, yeah, I get it. I guess just – so for yours, Tristan, is this going to be like a Scorsese, like R-rated movie? Is there any reason for it to be really, or is it just kind of more of a drama, like straight drama? I think it would be a good straight drama. Swahili doesn't always be like an envelope pushing R-rated person. You know, he's done a couple that are more just character focused dramas. Something like uh, of the Daniel Day Lewis movie uh, *Age of Innocence*. Something in that in that tone. And sure, it was R-rated because it's kind of um, adult themes. But I don't think it's going to be like bloodbath or huge swear rants and things like that that he's known for. I think you could get him to dial back and be more of the *Age of Innocence* style director who's very focused on character and style and tone. Okay. And for Joe, um, because you're using the Mario characters and you have Mario dying, uh, what, what type of tone is this movie? Is it gearing? I mean, it's towards- still like PG. Cause I mean, it's going to be him. Like he's older and dying of old age. It's not like he's like young hit Mario, you know, Oh, he got, he crashed in Mario Kart, and we're all trying to figure out, you know, it's like a more respectable death okay. where it's more just like hey it's more of a celebration of mario's life than just like a uh this was just like a sad you know death that's gonna scare children okay um yeah i kind of just need to hear you guys fight it out uh, maybe defend your your rule choices um like why they apply to a, to a movie like this um and yeah I'll, I'll if i have any other questions as i as as you go i'll pop them in there yeah, my I think Citizen thing- Kane is, All right, you can is go. this you big, large-scale story that's told across like decades, and I think time travel is a great way to tell that, to be able to have the character jump around to these moments and actually see them himself. And I think having it be a reporter who's just trying to get this subjective story and he's just seeing these bits of Kane's life and he's trying to paint a picture of a man based off of these moments, and I think that captures the movie, the original movie, very well, which is you're seeing this person devolve from a kid into this reclusive billionaire and there's not really a turning point there's not a moment where you say oh here he broke bad here you just see like how the man became the man and i think time travel lets somebody tell that story really well my one question for you my question is basically like does leonardo dicaprio's character like interact with kane at all or or is he just kind of like you would watch you would just have it be an observational thing at the time I think that's part of the theme is that Charles Foster Kane tried to get back to his youth and recapture, but he never could. And I think having the time travel revolve around 
you have to be the observational, you have to not interact with, can't mess with the butterfly effects and all that stuff. So I think you have Leo on the sidelines, just kind of observing and, and maybe trying at points to point Kane in a better direction, but even with his points, he still goes down the same path. All right, and then my main problem with yours is then like, what's different between that and like the way it is now where the camera just like cuts back and we just see Charles Foster Kane just we cut back we don't need like the time travel element if leonardo dicaprio really doesn't interact with kane that much and it's more just going to be the same thing it's just now leonardo dicaprio's in the frame as well and i don't really know like why it necessarily then has to be a time travel movie if the only difference is now leonardo dicaprio is seeing the movie with his own eyes instead of just hearing other people tell the story and that's a big part of citizen kane is yours you don't see Charles Foster Kane tell his life story at all. You're hearing his life story through other people's eyes. So if you instead just have Leonardo DiCaprio back in time just watching it, I don't know if that's as compelling as seeing all of these other I people think, tell his story. I think it works for him to be an observer because you're not getting the full perspective of Kane's life. You're just you're just seeing it happen. You're wishing you get into his head, you're wishing you could see his thoughts, just like Leo is. It kind of roots you in the perspective of Leo's character. You're seeing this enigma of a man, and you're seeing these defining moments throughout his life, but you're not able to quite grasp where his head is at. You're not able to quite grasp his emotions and his motivations in that point. And I think that lets you root in the perspective of Leonardo DiCaprio rather than just having it be a part of the movie in the scene. You're actually seeing it through the eyes of the main character. Yeah. I don't know. I just and don't I don't know. Think you got it. No, you can go. That's... I think it would be very hard to take this story seriously when it's Mario and it's Luigi and it's it's Waluigi and it's all these characters that we know from these video games. And I think it would the emotional moments might work because we have these built-in nostalgia for these characters, but I don't think it would be very earned it. I don't think I'd be able to take this seriously of like, oh, Mario's dying and how are we going to understand this man's life when it's Mario? We know Mario's story. We've seen all of this already. Are they just going to show us him in Mario Kart and in Dr. Mario and jumping around on, on platforms with, with Luigi? And like, what can be ex- what can be explored in Mario that we don't already know about Mario? What are we going to see that we haven't seen before? I, I would say the big thing to defend against that point is we ha- we've seen Mario do things. We've seen Mario race in Mario Karts, but you can still show like the moments in between them and how Mario tweeted, treated Princess Peach and like how he was off the track at Mario Kart and how he was outside of like the Smash Brothers and things like that where we've seen Mario jump and we've seen Mario, but we don't see like other people's opinion of him. We don't see like the inner thoughts and my movie. I'm not aiming for like a super serious movie, like the original citizen Kane. That's why I chose Chris McKay, the director of Lego Batman as my director. My movie is supposed to be like a comedic movie. We have a serious take on citizen Kane. So I wanted to go a different direction to make mine more like a comedy and make mine more like a parody and make mine more self-referential and have that be more of that tone than like a serious because if you go into a mario citizen kane movie and it's serious you're gonna be like what the hell is this but if they like make it more comedic and more funny you're gonna be more i think of accepting of that type of movie i think the core of citizen kane is that you're examining this complex man with these very varying emotions and you can't get a quite grasp on his morality and his 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 
passions or where his loyalties lie, and I don't think you can do it with Mario. Mario is some everyone's hero, you know, he's a good guy. And I'm not sure you can do much to deconstruct Mario. I mean, he's been a doctor, he's been a plumber, he's saved the princess, he's done all of these amazing things. I want to see like what that guy's like, and we don't we don't really get to see that in the games. He's just like, hi, I'm Mario, and then he runs off and he does his adventure. And I think a movie like this could easily allow us to see what is Mario actually like. Like, there's been animated shows and other things like that, and there was like the live action movie, but there's been nothing like of this type of thing before. Yeah, I think yours sounds like a good like SNL sketch, but not something that I would want to watch like a like a how long this movie is however long would be two it'd hours. Like, and a half it'd be hours. like I mean, it's an animated comedy movie. It's gonna run at like ninety minutes. I don't know, I just feel like with yours, yeah. I don't know if I necessarily like need to see another Citizen Kane that's kind of the same, and now it's just like he does tech stuff instead of newspaper stuff. And Tristan, how how long do you think your movie is going to be? You have kind of the re-team of the Irishman, and that was like a three-hour movie. Is it going to be like a big epic like that, or is it going to be kind of short? Go pretty long with bit? it, at least two and a half hours, right around two and a half probably. You want to get that epic length out of Scorsese, and I think the premise of exploring this man's whole life gives you a chance to show a lot and spend your time well, and I think the original is pretty long too, so I think it'd be a movie to use a lot of time wisely and spend that time really exploring his character and his relationships and the in the in the in the struggle of Leo only being able to see these moments and not being able to really get inside the head of this man. And even when you're there seeing it in person, you're still not fully understanding the the moment. And I think that's part of what the time travel would lead into is like even when he's there seeing it happen, it's still hard to really grasp what's going on in Kane's head. Hmm. Okay. You guys have any any other big points you want to make here um, before I get to the final decision? No, I think I covered most of what I or everything I need to say. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Okay. Um, so my initial thoughts was uh, I, I didn't know if Joe really stood a chance when I when I heard the when I realized what rule each of you were using, I was definitely thinking Tristan had the advantage. Um, but my only problem is it didn't sound for you, Tristan, that it was different enough than the original Citizen Kane for it to really matter because it's known as like one of the best movies of all time. You have Scorsese trying to do a serious take on it. Um, So that was kind of my ding on you. Um, And also just the fact that I don't know if the time travel, like Joe said, really adds to it. You're kind of just doing what the first one did, but the other characters are now there. Um, And for Joe, it's like, yeah, Mario, is there really much to dig into? I was kind of wondering why you would put it in this world. But the more I thought about it, that's the one reason one way I would want to see a new Citizen Kane movie is something that's a little bit more funny, get the story to a new audience. Cause I feel like the only people that would see a Scorsese remake of Citizen Kane are cinephiles and people that love movies and already know Citizen Kane. Um, and it's really just going to be the same movie. And I feel like yours is going to introduce that story to a lot of people that would not have known about Citizen Kane prior to that. A lot of kids, um, families, maybe go explore the original and I think it could be a lot of fun. Um, so as crazy as it sounds, I really like Citizen Kane with Mario characters uh, and Joe's going to squeak out the victory. Yeah, I will say, Tristan, don't feel too down on yourself because I would not say that I beat you. I would just say experience beat you because 
if this was both of our debut, I think you beat me seven to two, eight to one. But just doing this a number of times, I figure out real, especially being a judge, you kind of find the points to like hammer home on. Yeah, and that's the point I, of like if I was a judge, I'd be like, okay, what would I ding them for? And then I know, like the whole thing with your time travel, I'm like, okay, I don't really know if that's going to matter much, so I knew to attack on that. And the same thing with your Keanu Reeves uh, video game character for John Wick. If I was basically, I kind of knew to hammer in on that, and that's really the only negative that movie had. Same with your, for me anyway. Same with your uh, Citizen Kane of just kind of I don't know if the time travel really worked that well. Or mattered that much was really the only ding on your movie. I think it seems interesting. So I would yeah. like I would say it, experience beat you because if this was like I said, if this is both of our debut, I think you destroy me. Right? No, I, I, I just actually, our basic pitches that we had because I wouldn't I wouldn't be as good as at, uh, knocking down your pitches. I think if we just pitched our movie and Bobby just picked based on that, I think you beat me like seven to two. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna show where I heard the Citizen King Mario, and I was like, "Oh, I got this!" But and then as he went gone talking, I was like, "Damn it, I want to see this movie." <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool thing. And it would be pretty cool to see Mario on the sidelines at a Mario Kart game, or like, what is he doing when he's not chasing Bowser? And I think those little those little elements that painted the picture a little better were were what really sold it for me. Yeah, I mean, um, really, I had, as I'm going, I have notes and underline it, and Joe, just in the arguments back and forth, did hit a lot more on, like, what I, what the dings were, so just that experience, I think, helped, um, but at Tristan, those were some really good pitches, I think that was a really great debut, um, you know, I, I think you have a really creative mind when it comes to this, I like a lot of it, so, uh, great debut, a fun... what's that? I have to come back and earn my victory again. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, uh, Joe, what was your favorite pitch of Tristan's that, or maybe oh, the God. hardest? I think even though he lost that round, I want to say my favorite pitch of his was the video game, uh, John Wick, because like he started talking, and you probably, if you watch back, you could see me like realize like I'm about to lose this. Yeah. And then when I thought about it as he was talking, I'm like, oh, I'll just hit on that. Keanu Reeves is coming back, and I don't know if that's going to be different enough, and but. Yeah, either way, like, I think if you, like Bobby said, you pick any other character, even if it was, like, a crappy character, you probably would have beat me on that one. Yeah, that that was really my only ding. I really did love that, but I was like, man, but you brought the same director and, and Keanu as himself, basically, so. But that was a, that was a really good pitch. Uh, so same for you, Tristan. What was, uh, what was your favorite pitch of Joe's? Um, I really like the Terminator X-Men pitch. I think that's a great take on it, I think. That's just a really strong use of the rule in the premise, and I, I was super impressed by it. Yeah, I, I love really that. Going back and trying to kill the, the father of an X-Men leader, and and I think that ties into X-Men really well. They have that kind of bombastic, crazy stuff like time travel and people going around all over the place and doing dumb stuff, and I think that would fit well with Terminator and X-Men. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. The one thing I'm really glad no one hit on is I basically just did Days of Future Past again. Of I thought someone might bring up the fact that, oh, Professor X is sending Wolverine back in time. I feel like I've seen that movie before. but Yeah, you, you kind of did a mix of Days of Future Past and the comic book um, Age of Apocalypse. You kind of did a mix yeah. of two storylines, and I, I kind of liked that a lot. So yeah. um, I thought that worked, worked really well. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, do you guys have anything you guys you want to plug? Any movies you've watched? Any shows? Um, um, I, I'm super hyped for the Batman movie that's coming out. That trailer dropped last weekend. 
yeah that, last, week, last week sometime yeah i love that i i watched i've watched that uh probably about 50 times now i love that especially the beat down yeah <laughs> at the end yeah uh, my theaters here just opened up like last week so i went and saw inception the re-release of inception and that was incredibly fun i haven't seen that since probably it came out in theaters and it really was a great movie to get me back in like the swing of going to the theater again so if you're in like a safe area and your theaters are safe i feel like inception is a great kickoff it's nice and long there's crazy action it's sort of a tribute to movies in its own way so i think if you're looking to get back into the swing of movies hopefully new mutants is coming out this weekend <laughs> things yeah. are starting up again so maybe theaters will be back soon and i think inception is a great start to that yeah i mean where we in michigan i will see if if, if they're going to open up some theaters soon yeah. but uh um yeah uh i would just say um you know i, I did i actually did rewatch inception about like a couple weeks ago that's just a i really like that movie it's a fun one it was interesting to hear your pitches last week when i was not here on your inception remake yeah um but if no one has anything else to say uh we can all just sign off we can go in order here on the screen so joe why don't you start us off yeah i'm joe uh thanks for watching uh like subscribe and all that good stuff yeah i'm bobby it was fun being judge and uh yeah please help us out leave a comment after the fact let us know what your favorite pitches were or what your ideas are I'm Tristan. I can't even believe that I got four points in my first game, but uh, thanks for having me, guys. It was really fun, and like you guys said, like and comment and share the video. This is a great podcast, so hopefully everybody is sharing it around, and I can't wait to watch more of it and hopefully be on a couple more times. All right. See you guys later. See ya.